It's been a dark week for wrestling and an even darker one for America, but we'll try to find something to laugh about as the world falls to complete shit around us. And joining me in this endeavor, my cohort and co-host, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you. He's a man who's always in a good mood because there's never a turd in his punch bowl. The great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here on Forbidden Door Weekend. Uh, you know, I'd almost take Forbidden Door as being the worst news we had this week. If that was the worst news we had this week. But it's not. Should we go ahead and get the bad stuff out of the way, Brian? And especially for all of you weak-kneed little pussies out there that can't stand to hear the truth about what's going on in the world today, the current events, the crises that we all face. They're allowing going to get political again. Well, it's more goddamn interesting than the wrestling is these days. Was that a, 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 a cue to be off YouTube? That was <laughs> just in case this may be a good point to cut the YouTube clip, of course. Well, you know, because YouTube doesn't want to hear that. They can't handle the truth over at YouTube. Okay, in three days, and again, folks, for our international worldwide listeners who now have found it somewhat of a hobby to keep up with the insanity and the lunacy of the average American and the American society and the whole United States of America, uh, for those people who uh, probably some of them get their American news from us, because at least we're a trusted source, in three days, the January 6th commission continued, continued to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt with sworn testimony from people involved under oath and under the penalty of perjury that Donald Trump attempted to overturn the legitimate election and retain power and committed numerous criminal acts in the pursuit of that. And this time they had the attorney general at the time and the deputy attorney general and all the assistant attorney general. They didn't have them all there. They didn't have room. They showed their pictures and, and some of their testimony, and they all concurred, that they told Mr. President, old Donnie Dipshit, there was no fraud in the election. We will not lie for you. We will not sign this letter. We will resign. We will all resign. And if, if I resigned, then, the, then Trump said, well, will you do it? And he said, no, I'll resign. And then Trump, they've proven this also. Trump found one weasel, low-level weasel, in the Department of Justice that if he, if Trump named him the Attorney General, he would sign the letter and investigate the election fraud. And they told Trump at that point that if you make this guy the Attorney General, the entire department, all the leadership will resign, and he will be the leader of a graveyard. 
and the same guy in question that was the stooge that was going to do Trump's illegal activities. Coincidentally, the morning that they were testifying to this, the feds had that guy out in the front yard in his pajamas raiding his house because he is now implicated and involved in a plot to overthrow the United States government at the behest of the guy that was running it at the time that is now a proven criminal, a pathological liar and a criminal. And guess what, folks around the world? The pathological lying criminal is the one who appointed three different justices of the nine to our Supreme Court. Which is why he was there. Which is why the Republicans, McConnell, and all the rest of them, I'm not talking about the fucking gimmick comedy Orange Cassidy Republicans that are just there for entertainment and because they got a lot of stupid people in their districts like the Boberts and the Marjorie Trees and Greens. I'm talking about the real Republicans that run everything. And Mitch McConnell being the one, the, the main one. That's why Trump was their useful idiot. And they lied for him. And they covered up for him. And they fucking looked the other way for him because they were using him. Look at the pretty monkey over here while meanwhile we're putting these religious lunatics and right-wing nutcases in positions of power in the Supreme Court and in the state courts and the local court. It's, it's, that has been their plan for 50 years. It's not like it's the first time I've said this. Not like anybody else hadn't been saying this. If you watched the right news, like any of it besides Fox, you'd have heard this before. And now that's their way to minority rule. The Republicans have known for some time that they will never win another major election with a majority of the country. They need to stop people from voting that won't vote for them. They need to make it as hard as possible. And furthermore, they need to stack the courts with people that will make laws favorable to what they want so they don't have to have the position of power of every branch of the government. And that's what they've been. Trump was a tool in more ways than one to get that done. So. Now that we've all gone back to the 1800s in the Supreme Court, and by the way, Clarence Thomas, his wife was a member of a cult. You've seen this, Brian. She was an actual member of a cult when she was younger and then fucking did interviews about escaping a cult and is currently in another one. She's the biggest MAGA QAnon fucking right-wing fuckwit. And she was trying to make sure the election was overthrown, and she's the wife of one of the goddamn conservative judges that got appointed the last time we had a Republican dipshit in charge about 35 years ago. So anyway, now that we've proven that the criminal appointed a third of the Supreme Court, the following day, the Supreme Court issues a decision, ladies and gentlemen around the world, get ready for this, with all the gun violence and all the mass shootings and all the childrens whose head were blown off and decapitated and disemboweled by these automatic rifles that the fetishists stroke every night before they go to sleep next to them. 
the Supreme Court issues a ruling that it's okay for it, you have the right as an American to carry your gun out in public in a concealed fashion anywhere you want to go, and the states cannot make laws to restrict that. So the same thing goes for Montana, where you can't find a fucking human being. As for downtown New York City and Manhattan, Brian, you're the New York expert. I'd like you to chime in here. How badly do you want to go to any bar, nightclub, restaurant, or entertainment venue in the city of New York, in Manhattan, or the close boroughs around there with everybody allowed to carry a gun if they want to? That's completely not what I want. No. <laughs> that sounds awful. I can't even imagine. And I've been in some fights at bars. If there was all of a sudden a gun in the mix, and sometimes there is, but if all of a sudden everyone has guns. But, but, it, but the, 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 am I correct in assuming that right now, as it's or until this past week, that most of those establishments will tend to check you out and make sure you're not bringing in a gun before you get into a lot of those places, right? They try. They do their best. I mean, they do their best. You know, there's a reason why they did things the way they did in like Tombstone. Welcome to town. Hand over your guns. It was because they know if we let these people go into the saloon with their guns, they're going to start shooting each other. And that's what I'm afraid is going to happen. Well, because now, I guess, and we saw the, uh, was it the attorney general? Was it the governor of New York? I forget which. There's been so many newsworthy things happening lately saying we're going to do everything we can to fight this because this is insane. But now, apparently, they, the, these bars, nightclubs, whatever, they will not be allowed to tell you you cannot bring your gun in here? Is this what, is this how this is affecting the biggest major metropolitan area in the United States? I'm not exactly sure because actually it happened, this ruling, and everyone went nuts about it. And I said, okay, I'll really dive into this tomorrow. And then the next day, something bigger happened than I completely forgot to. Well, you, well, let's get to that bigger thing. Because on one day, the Supreme Court packed infested with conservatives and also three people appointed by a criminal liar said, okay, everybody's allowed to carry their guns. It's a constitutional right. States can't limit this right. The next day, as predicted here a while back, and as has been being predicted for several years now since this plot has gained more and more attention, the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, which now makes abortion on a federal level illegal in the United States. It's up to the states to determine half of which already have right-wing crackpot religious lunatic laws in place that will send doctors to jail for five to ten years if they perform or help perform an abortion, even if the woman is about ready to fucking die. And they're going to leave it up to the states. So now you've got a situation where on one day, they said the states cannot restrict people's right to carry guns. And the very next day, they say, no, we're overturning the constitutional right that you've had for 50 years to be able to have a safe legal abortion, and we're going to leave it up to the states. So what they are doing is they are basically trying to protect the fictitious people while getting the more of the existing ones shot and killed. 
And this is why elections have consequences. When you put, and it didn't have to be, in this case, it didn't have to be Donald Trump, just because he's a criminal idiot that was a useful tool. Any Republican practically would have gone along with this plot because they know that the large minority of the country, the 35 to 40 percent of these people with brain damage, won't vote for them, and that's the only chance they got because they're against the majority on everything. The majority of Americans want more gun control. The majority of Americans are in favor of abortion. The majority of Americans are in favor of some kind of health care. They don't want to give nobody that. They can't win on that. So they're plotting through the judges. Now, again, guns, all you want, they're legal, and you can take them anywhere you want. But if you want to have a safe medical procedure to decide how many children you have or if you have children, not only are you going to be fucked, but also we'll send all the doctors that do that to jail. And this is why these people lied for Trump and covered up for Trump, because this is what they wanted. And they've already announced, and Clarence Thomas, the husband of the cult member, conspiracy theorist and MAGA fanatic, Clarence Thomas has already said they want to reevaluate contraception. They don't want you to be able to have an abortion. They don't want you to be able to prevent it. They're, for whatever reason, it's against God's plan somehow. Contraception, gay marriage, that's the next one they're coming for. He's already mentioned these things in the opinions. They want to send us back to the Stone Age. Yeah, that's the pro- it's religion influencing the court, which is yes. completely the opposite of how it's supposed to work, according to our founders, that is. But they overlook the founders when the founders don't agree with them. They just, the founders were right about guns. Actually, they weren't because they misinterpreted the founders' words about guns. As, as President Biden said, uh, quote, a sad day for this country, an extreme ideology has expressly taken away a constitutional right, which has never happened before, by the way. The Supreme Court has never taken a constitutional right away once it was established. So now that they've uh, made that precedent, then what about Second Amendment? Why can't, if they're just taking rights away, why can't they take a right away that would do some good for people? They don't want to do that. What if, 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 you're, if your friendly neighborhood, invisible, fictitious, supreme being is, is behind all these God-given rights, then how can you take one away and not the other? So let's tear up Second Amendment and do something good for people. No. Because according to their delusional, backwards ideology, God's not mad about the guns. God's mad if you have sex and enjoy it. And if you do it in a way other than which God wants you to do it. Then you must be punished. And all of the unwanted, abused children that will result from this must suffer also. Because God loves you. And he'll burn you to death in fire and torment and damnation forever if you fuck with him because nobody's going to tell God that he don't love you. Fuck you fucking nitwits. If it's the 21st century, it's like we're dealing with the pioneer days. 
you know, God may, if God gets mad about appendicitis and gallbladders, we're going to have to keep those too, right? Because if we're just cutting down all the medical procedures, because they don't like science, because that caused that, you need smart people involved in shit like that. And they see through all of the bullshit here. So they don't want smart people around. So if God starts liking gallbladders and appendixes, then we can't take those out either. The fuck is the matter with you, lunatic? And this is what everybody said was going to happen just because of her emails or because some people didn't like that Hillary was an annoying fucking bitch. The people who voted for Jill Stein. <sighs> so that's where we're at uh, in the world. You can't have an abortion in the United States or your doctor is going to go to prison. Gay marriage is up for grabs pretty soon. Then they're going to start persecuting the gay kids in schools because every school will become a religious conversion camp. And you notice the only thing that they didn't mention was the, and I, again, I say this and people around the world are going to go, what the fuck is going on? It was not legally established that black people could marry white people into what was it, 1965? Was it Loving versus the United States or whatever? Clarence Thomas's wife is white. And he's the black lightning bugs following him around in the daytime. And that's the only social issue that has been settled by the court in the last 75 years that they haven't decided is up for grabs. Funny how these things, wouldn't you know who won the pony? Nor should it be up for grabs, by the way. Well, of course, none of this shit should be up for grabs. It's like we've invented heart transplants. We can now, if you got a bad heart, we can put another heart in. And they start doing that for about five or 10 years, 15 years, 20, 50 years, and people get used to it. And suddenly they say, nope, shit, you're only entitled to the one you started with. We can't do those heart transplants anymore. Yes, we have evolved as a society and medical science is now vastly more advanced than it was before. But my invisible friend says that he wouldn't like it because he gave you a heart for a reason. So we can't do any more heart transplants. Fuck you. Does that make any sense? When the abortion was a goddamn toilet plunger and, and hope for the best, maybe then it should have been banned. But this is, it's God, we can, we, get, we, we can't transplant brains now or elsewise there'd be a bunch of candidates, but we can do most everything else. Are we supposed to ignore advancement because a minority of the country is so wrapped up in their imaginary friend in the sky that they think he's upset at shit that other people are fucking doing with their own life and their own business. Because that's the only reason it's been given for any of this shit. It's all the religious groups. Because they're convinced that God has a plan for every life. Guess what? That means he's the most incompetent motherfucker in the history. Because if God has a plan for every life, look at about four billion of the lives on this planet around you and figure out what kind of idiot would have worked that out. So anyway, no abortion, all the guns you want, and the guy who appointed 33% of the judges making all these decisions 
has been proven now beyond a shadow of a doubt by testimony of the people involved as a criminal. That's where the United States is at. How's your weather up there, Brian? Uh, it's beautiful today, 80-something degrees. Yeah, Isn't fuck you. See, the problem is the Democrats never hold on to it. The main Republicans who do, and you got to remember, there are Republicans who just were Republicans because of the business stance. Nothing to do with any of these social issues. They took over the party. Yeah, they've run all the normal, sane Republicans. They, they were assholes, but at least they weren't mentally incompetent. They've run them off now. But they got their people to vote. And the Democrats have to be able to get their people to vote in all these elections. And they, look, Clarence Thomas isn't going to live forever. That's going to be the next seat up. Who's going to be president for that? People didn't take it seriously. The idea that if Donald Trump wins, he gets the court. And you could probably have two, maybe three seats. And we already know that they were holding back Merrick Garland's seat. Yeah. And this is exactly what happened. That's why I'm not as upset as everyone, because... I don't know. I felt like I had a little It's while. our own fault. I, I felt like I had a little while to adjust to the fact that this was going to happen. This was obvious it was going to happen for a long time. And then it was, it was obvious once Amy Coney Barrett got on the Supreme Court, it was going to happen. And then it was obvious once the early draft came out. They weren't going to change that. They're like, well, it's an early draft. Things could change. Oh, yeah. Lots changed. Yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, they've screenshotted on Twitter four of these justices that voted to overturn abortion rights um saying during their confirmation we understand that roe versus wade is is settled law of the land we wouldn't fuck with that <laughs> no they've now established that precedent means nothing precedent just means you could overturn it and now and and the the poll i saw yesterday on the national news with 33 percent of the people in the united states have confidence in the supreme court which is the lowest alt because it doesn't usually bop up and down like the presidential uh, approval rating is the supreme court people used to mostly trust it and then they about halfway trusted it and now it's down to a third because they're they know now what's been done and they've they've tried to put these puppets in place not only there but in key positions so when the democrats are in charge they still can't get anything done because of the blockage, and of course, obviously, the only thing, and they try, I think now the Republicans let 15 of their members break ranks, now that you got me on this again, they signed a gun legislation bill this week also that they couldn't even say you can't buy a fucking automatic assault rifle until you're 21. They had to take that out to get Republicans to agree, and they took out something else, but they expanded background checks. And, oh, golly, we're going to keep a better eye on the, the demeanor of people that buy guns and, you know, whatever. Just nothing. And they got 15 Republicans go along with that. But until there are 60-something, at least 60, and hopefully a couple of extras, Democrats in the Senate, which never happens, and it, thankfully it doesn't really ever happen the other way, there's never going to be any gun legislation. They're not going to be able to overturn this fucking ridiculous abortion situation. They're not going to be able to protect gay marriage or anything else unless somebody hurries up and signs something into law somehow around the Republicans. Or we're going to be back in the 1800s riding in covered fucking wagons. Except, no, I take that back. 
We'll be riding in covered wagons that will be pulled by gas-guzzling machines because the one thing the Republicans like about modern day is they can ruin more of the environment by drilling for more oil. No, but they'll change on a dime. They like Elon Musk now, so there's a chance they may go to electric. Anyway, you want to talk about anything else on the program today besides this? I would love to talk about other things, yes. How about our goddamn weather here in Louisville, Kentucky? How about that? How's your weather? The shits. (laughs) It hit 100 degrees in Louisville, Kentucky on Wednesday for the first time on any day in 10 years. Actual air temperature, heat index was above that, but we have not hit a 100-degree air temperature in 10 years since July of 2012, and it happened on Wednesday, and then, because of the unstable atmosphere and the dew point, storms came through and it dropped 30 degrees in 30 minutes, so 45 miles down the road in Elizabethtown, it was 101 degrees, and outside in my driveway, it was 71. And I'll have it, Stephen P. News' daughter, Rebecca, She's a a student at university these days, and she's studying environment and environmental law and policy and everything, and he sent me over something that she pulled up on Louisville's climate and the effects of climate change. By the middle of this century, Louisville will have up to 50 days every summer at 100 degrees or higher. And our droughts are going to get longer, which we're already in one now. And the weather is getting, we're not going to have extreme weather in the wintertime. We're not having as much snow as we used to, and we'll probably continue in that way. But now that moves us into the ice storm level, which causes more damage. So thankfully, the one good piece of news is I'll be dead before all this manifests itself. What year did you say? About another 30 years. Can uh, Rebecca New look up where would be a good place to live? In like 30 years. Like, where is this going to... Juneau, Alaska. Oh, it'll be nice there. It'll They'll have balmy summers, but you'll have a, a better winter time. That's probably going to be the only place left. And maybe it'll do something to uh, to shut down some of the uh, the, the strife from the wildlife. Well, Would you... I was going to just say, speaking of Stephen P. New, he'll be on the show pretty soon. Yes, and we're trying to work that schedule out now. Cause, you know, his people talking to our people, it takes some time because they got to get back to each other. But we've got several legal topics pertaining to the wrestling industry and, and some things that he needs to weigh in on. We're trying to nail that interview down. Uh, but I got a wildlife update. Would you like me to fill you in on the wildlife, Brian? Because this is getting more and more interesting. Well, where did we leave it last with the raccoon and the fence and the sod and the... well? I got my new fence built, and then there was mud and dirt in front of it, so we put sod down all the way across 200-something feet of sod, about four feet out from that fence, and it was looking good, but then we found it torn up constantly every morning, and old stunning Steve Bradshaw in the back is watering this. Uh, that's his watering project. So we, we started noticing it was being torn up, and he, he ended up putting a camera back there, the night vision camera that it's motion. I now found out it's motion activated. When something moves in front of it, it takes a picture. That's what's going on. So anyway, then we found out that it was a giant mutant raccoon that was tearing up the side, going for grubs and worms underneath it. So Steve Bradshaw jumps into action. He goes, he gets a trap and he... He puts it out there. First, he was good. He sprayed some ammonia, but he kept seeing the damage, kept seeing the, the raccoon on the on the camera. It was even scaring the deer away. So he goes and gets a trap. And I believe that's where we last left it off, right? But 
I have a couple of updates over the past several days. I will read the first email from Mr. Bradshaw. Hey, Jim. So I caught a raccoon Friday night and took him to Long Run Park and set him free. And my dad called me to check on me, and we were talking about the raccoon. He said, well, you probably have more than one. I said, well, there was a deer out there with him the other night. And he was like, no, I bet you got at least one more, if not more. So Sunday morning, I went to check out the sod, and it was torn up again. And last night, I set the trap out again with the camera. And guess what? There are two more raccoons tearing up the sod. One was in the cage about four inches from touching the trigger that shuts the door when the other raccoon came in the picture and he jumped out, triggering the door so the door closed with nothing in it. So now we have two more and the little bastards are smart and they're mocking me on the camera, getting real close, almost like they're laughing at me in the pictures. And I, bl- I sent you some pictures. Well, you sent me some, but you can't really blame but- them this time. I mean, now they're like, hey, you took our friend. We'll show you what we're going to do. Well, let me tell you, here's something else going on, though, now. I got an update. This was just this was just yesterday. That sounded like very thick paper. Maybe I not. use the I use the finest. <laughs> Steve says, Dear Jim, this story keeps getting better, at least for you, because I've told him we're talking about this. So well, he listens to the show. So I have successfully caught and relocated two raccoons. And according to the photos from the trail cam, there's at least one more. So last night I set the trap and camera out hoping to catch the third raccoon. I go out this morning and the trap was empty, but most of the marshmallows were gone. And I was like, that sneaky son of a bitch is toying with me. Marshmallows? Marshmallow. Well, that's what the the bait. They like the marshmallows. I bring the camera in, download the photos from last night. And to my surprise, there wasn't a raccoon out there last night. There was a goddamn skunk. A skunk. He said, you got a freaking safari in your backyard. I'm so relieved that skunk didn't go all the way in the trap and get stuck in there because if he did, I wouldn't be going anywhere near close to that thing. Cause that now here's the problem. Now that we know that there's a skunk, if the skunk gets stuck in a trap, the skunk is going to emit distress signals. And this fence area is only like 40 feet behind Steve's, you know, back door, whereas it's a long way away from me. So he He's not one to put skunk in a trap. Anyway, he continues. Uh, he's going to take a few nights off from trapping and just do some photos to figure out if Pepe Le Pew comes back. But as of now, I have photos of three different raccoons, a deer or possibly two, uh, a cat, and now a skunk. But the good news is the sod has not been disturbed for two nights in a row. So that's the update there on... You know, the thing is, several years ago, in the fall or the spring, I can't remember. It was one of the seasons where we like to keep the bedroom window cracked and have the fresh air, right? So one one week, almost every night, it was like the skunk smell. Oh, my God. We're closing the window. We're spraying the stuff. I said, I got to find that skunk. We can't keep our, our window open, right? So one morning, I get up and I walk out on the back porch. I look out the window. And there is this big, fat skunk coming up from a hole underneath the the stone walkway. And I said, there's where it is. Now I see that hole. Well, I'll, I'll put a hose down there. And as soon as the skunk got finished coming out of the hole, here came one, two, three little baby skunks following right behind it in the little Disney skunk train. 
And so we just kept the window closed that season. And I let, and they moved on eventually, but I couldn't, you know, I was willing to tell mama or papa that they could have to relocate, but I wasn't going to mess with the babies. They were so cute. So hold on. Your neighbor captures the raccoon and yes. takes the raccoon in his car yes. to the park? Yes, to Long Run Park. Where now, apparently on the news, I'm seeing there's been a rash of wild animal <laughs> attacks on innocent children. But I'm sure it's not related in any way. Wild skunks and raccoons have been attacking children in the park. News at 11. It, it's totally unrelated, folks. So, um, uh, but there are still some, uh, I'm a Sin Guy shirts available at jimcornette.com. Some of the sizes available were wrapping that up i'll have a total because we're almost the end of the month we have raised over five thousand dollars amongst everybody on these shirts in may for the national alliance on mental illness nami i'm I'm told it's pronounced not nami but nami n-a-m-i dot org five thousand bucks plus in may and we should be able to get close to that in june and we appreciate everybody uh that's participated in that. We're going to have some news next week on the program. I had a meeting with Hotchkiss and we're going to have some news next week on the program of a couple of new pieces of merchandise that are going to be listed over the next week or two, including the July crusade for children fundraiser. But right now, if you want a Jim Cornette t-shirt of any kind, graphic novel, autograph, photo, cult of Cornette membership certificate, and so much more, jimcornette.com. Click on collectibles. And the feather bottoms are waiting with bated breath. And we've wondered what that odor was to take your order. And uh, there's very little waiting now that we have muddled through all of the uh, action figure backlog. And I think there's like two or three people that have said uh, the post office has made off with their belongings, but everybody else is mostly happy. So we're getting that addressed. Um, I got some updates, Brian, from some of the the cult members and the listeners out there. And some of these, honestly, I've read some people's emails and I don't want people to think that I don't like their email, but sometimes they're so personal and, or there's a lot of detail involved in their various medical situations or whatever, that I almost feel like I'm divulging, you know, classified information here with people's personal business. But, I just want to recognize Perry from Greenville, South Carolina, who wrote in, and this was about a month ago, you know how behind I get, but his fiancée, Wendy, uh, was diagnosed last August with multiple sclerosis, and she's had some health issues, and finally she was doing better, and then her son unfortunately committed suicide back in February, and both of them have been listening to our programs take their mind off things. And I just want to thank you, Perry, for writing. And and again, these people with that have had these problems, and Brian, you know this too, you see a lot of them, are thanking us for taking their mind off of it. If we can do that, you don't need to thank us uh, with all that's, that's right. going on in your various lives. But we appreciate hearing about it. You could also send money. Oh, quit. Quit what? you greedy avariciousness oh, of you stop it. the greedy avariciousness of you but anyway perry and wendy um you guys well, we're glad wendy you're feeling better and hope you keep listening to the program and also tom who is from phoenix 
Tom from Phoenix. Um, he wrote in, and, and again, this was a uh, a long and and involved process that his mother went through a bunch of health issues and unfortunately passed away in April. She was eighty years old though, uh, and led a long life. And and she spent time uh, in the hospital and in the emergency rooms. And while he was doing or she was doing that. Tom would be able to listen to our programs and and we just want to say best wishes Tom because you seem positive from your email about being able to get past this and and we send you our best wishes also and Steve and I'm going to read this one because it's short but it, uh, hello Brian and Jim and he puts you first that never happens um my nephew was 16 years old and passed away of a heart attack early Saturday morning, and it's hit the family very hard. Uh, 16 years old, I didn't even know it was possible to have a heart attack, and that's just terrible. But we bonded mostly through wrestling and metal music. When picking him up from his house, we would always listen to the experience or drive through. 16 is too young to go, and if being a screw-up for 40 years has taught me anything, it's cherish every day you spend on this earth. Tell every loved one you love them when talking to them because you never know if it'll be the last time you get to say it. And Steve, we're sorry for your loss, but I wanted to read that because that's good advice. And one more, Brian, from Miguel. And this this is one that's near and dear to my heart because he sent pictures, and I can't show you the pictures right now, but Miguel said, Hello, Mr. Cornette. I've always been a fan, and I always appreciate your love of animals. Uh, my rescue dog, Maxwell, always jumps up when I listen to both podcasts, and he only does that for Dolly Parton or Jimmy Buffett. So, Brian, you and I have been classified in the same company as Dolly Parton and Jimmy Buffett. Uh, but Miguel goes on to say, I was just informed that he has cancer in both his lungs, and apparently they've given him a life expectancy of six months to a year. But we wanted to recognize Maxwell because he's known as a legend in the neighborhood for helping stop two dogs from attacking people one day. And he sent a picture of Maxwell in his bed curled up with the Midnight Express scrapbook. So Maxwell loves him some cornet. Hey, that's a collectible. Treat that thing better. Well, that's why he was hugging it close to him. He's hugging the book. That sounds like it's going to bend the pages. No, he's not. He had it flat. Okay. And besides, you know, a dog's a dog's mouth is cleaner than a pe people's mouth. You know that, don't you? Well, technically that's true. It still doesn't mean I want them yeah. to. I didn't even say anything about him licking the book or eating the book. I don't know why you went there. I was talking about just messing around with the book, rolling around with the book. Why would he think he's going to hump the book? I Mess mean, I wasn't even talking about humping. Again, you went there. I was just talking well, about you... being a dog and trying to get its scent on things, rubbing around on it. Yeah, how do you get your scent on things? You rub around until you hump it. That's how you do those things, Brian. There's some happy... Would you like to hear some happy emails? <laughs> Why not? I got some happy emails. This is an update on a previous email from... Um, oh, gosh, this was a few weeks ago. We read... Uh, we read Scott's email because, he, remember, his wife had had health issues and was in a medically induced coma, and nothing, the family talking to her wasn't waking her up, and the friends' messages on the phone, nothing. And finally, Scott put on one of my dissertations on the character and authenticity of Donald Trump, 
which they both enjoyed, Scott and his wife, uh, in happier times. And when she heard me taking the piss out of pig shit, she perked right up and opened her eyes and smiled. Then we read that email. And we congratulated them on that happening. And I have a follow-up from Scott. Dear Jim, I forgot to mention, we are from the United Kingdom. So to answer Brian's question, no, she's never watched baseball. <laughs> I don't even remember in what context or why that came up, but this poor woman, <laughs> medically induced coma, multiple health problems, the family had all but said goodbye. She miraculously wakes up to the sound of me taking a piss out of pig shit, as I said, and your question somehow was, has she ever watched baseball? Let's go Mets. That's what I'm saying today. Well, he says no, she's never watched baseball, but I mentioned he's from the United Kingdom. He says, I did, however, look up and see how much the treatment that she has had and is, has undergone would cost us in America, and it was close to $750,000. But her treatment is ongoing, so it would be more on top of that but you know what it's costing Scott and his wife over there in the United Kingdom, Brian? How much? Hold on one second. I'll find the appropriate sound effect. Do I have one? Yeah. Nada. They got the NHS, the National Health Service, I believe is the abbreviation. There's no bill for me or my wife. They don't have to purchase insurance. They don't have to be given insurance through their employment and lose it. If they lose the job, they have the National Health Service that provides that, like every other civilized country in the known earth. Uh, and here's another email for you from Nathan in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I can't pronounce his last name. Looks like Vanderwinkle or something. Anyway, Jim and Brian, my name is Nathan. And I wanted to share with you both that I proposed to my girlfriend, Rachel, last week on our carnival cruise. I did it right when we got on board, and it makes it even better that I did it in my Cornet Face t-shirt. Could we get a shout-out, maybe? And he sent a picture of him proposing to the lovely Rachel in the Cornet Face shirt. So, yes, yes, you can get a shout-out. And he's, P.S., she said yes. So, right there, if you're wanting to make your loved one even more enamored or make her answer the question in the affirmative when you pop it, wear the official Jim Cornette t-shirts. Sounds like you have a winner. She didn't push you overboard and run off with one of the crew. Hey! That could happen on one of those cruises. I've seen it on TV. Is that Carnival or is that one of those uh, South American cruises with the the Desi Arnaz Jr. lookalike uh, uh, fucking Maraca band? You ever see the Viking cruise commercials? I'm not, do they have axes and spears? They should. It would make it so much better. I would totally try that out. I don't know if I want to get on a boat with a lot of people carrying axes and spears. It's either that or guns. What are you going to take, axes and spears or guns? Ah, well, okay. Let's, let's stick with the axes and the spears. I wonder if that counts on boats, too. If Americans get on cruise ships, are they allowed to carry assault rifles? Just in case the, the goddamn, you know, the buffet is cold? I don't know if the Supreme Court rules over maritime law. That's a good question. Well, they, they certainly rule over marital law. All right, one more email. This is from Michael. Does Michael say where he's from? From Des Moines, Iowa. 
one of the places I always mention as a center point for severe boredom. I'm going to excerpt a bit of this, but it was very interesting, Brian, and I thought, you know, maybe you would give me your thoughts on this because Chris Jericho's been talking about being a wizard lately, and I mentioned that I'm the ultimate wizard because I throw better fireballs than Jericho. Well, Michael actually had a dream about me. Would you like to hear about it? Michael's dream about you? Yes. I don't know. Would I like to hear about it? I'd like to hear about it. Here it goes. Hello, Jim. I just wanted to share a dream I had last night that you might find interesting or amusing. As you might have guessed, the dream featured one Mr. Jim Cornette. Another note that's relevant to the story is that I was a child when the Harry Potter phenomenon swept the world, and I still enjoy the books and movies. That's very important, right? Anyways, on to the dream. Me and several students were sat in our robes in a large stone room at Hogwarts Castle on the first day of school. We were bustling about our new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, Jim Cornette, coming in to teach us. You had a reputation of being a legendary wizard, and the classroom was buzzing about the exciting possibilities. Then in you walked, adorned with your robes and a huge pointy black hat. <laughs> you came in hot and asked the class some initial questions about what we knew to assess our aptitude for wizardry. You were less than impressed. I don't recall the exact words you used, but I remember you calling us motherfuckers and relaying the fact that we didn't know shit from apple butter about being a goddamn wizard, and you were going to impart your wizarding wisdom into us, but it wasn't going to be fucking easy. Then the class slowly started to turn against you. <laughs> I remember my classmates getting really upset and argumentative with you, and I was just thinking they ought to shut up and listen, and we could be great, powerful wizards, but these little fuckers just refused to listen. There was a mass exodus, and these ungrateful little wizard pricks walked out of the class one by one, so you and I just conversed, and I used my quill pen to fill pages and pages of notes. What do you think about that dream, Brian? I don't think very much of it at all. <laughs> I just wanted to have Travis draw me in robes and a big black pointy hat. Waving my wand at a bunch of students. You know, he's referencing Harry Potter, right? Yeah, that's, well, yes, that's why he said it helps in this dream that when I was a child, the Harry Potter phenomenon swept the world and he still enjoys the books and movies. See, he's got the Potterness on the brain. I think a lot of, uh, that was a lot of Potter went into a dream like that. Whether he's eating it or smoking it or whatever, a lot of Potter. There's been some patter and potter here today. Some patter and potter. Did you see Lex Luger's tweet? No. <laughs> just a second on this. Just, I want to bring this up. I was scrolling through the Twitter machine the other day, and Lex Luger, the package, tweeted one of the memes where it's, it's like there's nine squares, like the Brady Bunch thing, and there's a picture at each square, and it says, pick your favorite, right? And it was fast food items. And they had the quarter pounder with cheese and they had a Taco Bell and they had a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich and they had the whatever they have at the other place. And one of the items was a, a Whopper from Burger King. And Lex had retweeted that. And he, he basically the line was his 
pick, his favorite, was the Double Whopper from Burger King with extra cheese. And I had to respond to that. And I retweeted that and said, hey, package, back when you used to ride in a car with me, because I've told this story before, you used to ride in a car with me looking at me eating cheeseburgers like I had steaming turds in my mouth. And here you are stealing my gimmick and pen with extra cheese, too. And he tweeted me back. He said, I've seen the light. And he tweeted me a picture of a bunch of fucking donuts and shit. So apparently he's just going crazy now with, with the fast food. Here's the big question. Do you think he was going back to his hotel in the 80s? And when he wasn't with you in the Midnight Express, all of a sudden he would order a cheeseburger. No, he was. He genuinely was not. I believe this about the man. I did call him a junk food. I said, UK Fabian junk food junkie. But no, because with the story I told, I was driving the rental car and Midnight was in the back and he was in front because Lex had long legs. He was the biggest one. And I'm eating the, the Wendy's triple with one hand and driving with the other hand and the grease is down to my elbow. And he was looking at me like I was literally chowing down on a big handful of steaming turds. And I asked him, I said, Package, how long has it been since you've eaten a cheeseburger? He said, oh, I have no idea. He said, I had some French fries about six months ago. But no, no, he, they, him and Sting both. I, th I think Lex was even cleaner about it than Sting was. But no, they had the bland stuff and the white meat and the no fried. And remember, they used to peel the skin off their chicken from Price's Chicken Coop on interview day so I could eat the skin. They'd have the chicken. Ew. That was the best part about Price's Chicken Coop was their skin. You'd eat the skin and they'd eat the chicken? <laughs> it was fried chicken. They didn't want to eat fried chicken. But then Klondike Bill would come in with a giant cardboard box full of like fucking 50 or 60 chicken breasts from Price's Chicken Coop for all the boys. That was catering back then. But Lex Luger picks the double Whopper with extra cheese. And I guess now that he's, uh, he's seen the light, he has a, a regular diet and eats normal things. But you know what? That's the thing is, when I deprive myself of food items that I like, I don't sleep well, Brian. I don't go to sleep and, and sleep well at night because if I just have a little pissy little dinner or if I just have healthy food, then I lay awake and I have dreams of cheeseburgers and cheesesteaks and pizza and hot dogs and fried chicken and all kinds of collard greens and black-eyed peas, all kinds of things flying around my head. And may maybe that's why Lex, now that he's older, he likes to get a good night's sleep. He doesn't want to lay awake at night hungry. No, he wants to, when he hits the sack, when he drops his, his body into bed at night, he wants to go blissfully off to sleep with no problems and, and in, in a comfortable condition. Just like you, just like me, just like we all do, don't you think? Yes, of course. Yes. Well, that's why I've also let the package know about the helix mattress because now that he doesn't have to lay awake at night looking at that eight pack of rock hard abs and thinking i could have had a cheeseburger now that he's eating normal food now he will not be laying awake thinking about all the things he's depriving himself of and he can lay down at night in the most comfortable mattress on the face of the planet and get a nice night's sleep now how do you say it would he be laying down on the mattress or in the mattress Actually, you lay on most normal mattresses, 
But a Helix Sleep Mattress, it's like you're surrounded with comfort. You're literally in the, you become one with the mattress. And I'll tell you one thing, when you can snatch the mattress from my hand, it's time for you to leave. But folks, the folks at Helix Sleep have a two-minute quiz that you take, and it matches your body type and sleep preferences. Do you prefer on your side, on your back, on your stomach, doggy style, reverse cowgirl, whatever it may be. That's, They've got soft and medium and firm mattresses. They've got mattresses great for cooling you down and some that'll even warm you up. Actually, normally, if you want a mattress to warm you up, to, you have to set fire to it, but that's not recommended. Anyway, you take this two-minute quiz, you answer their questions, they match you up with the absolutely perfect mattress for your needs. They've even got a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers. And Lord knows, I think it's got one of those things in the middle, so if you weigh over 500 pounds, you can't roll over and crush the person next to you in the bed. It does not have that at all, no. That's optional, you're saying. I'm, no, I'm not saying that either. I'm oh. not saying they have it. All right, well, they've got everything else. I would assume they've got that too because they've got everything. Folks, you can go to Helix Sleep. That's H-E-L-I-X, helixsleep.com slash J-C-E. Take the two-minute sleep quiz. They'll match you to the mattress. It'll be delivered to you free of charge right to your door and then the fun and magic unboxing. As a matter of fact, if you want your kids to have something to do, then let them unbox the thing and let them see it inflate into marvelous life. And then you can put them in the box it came from and put them out in the garage. Don't do that. Don't do that? No. Kids like to play in boxes. They can do that maybe in the living room, but don't put them in the box and put the box in the garage. That's well, not the way to do it. They can come back in when they get cleaned off, but, you know, cardboard boxes, uh, plastic bags, kids love to put those over their heads. No, <laughs> did they don't... They don't, they do, don't that do that, and they shouldn't do that, and they, do not, they don't love that. <laughs> and either do the TBS executives. We, we used to use those as like ski masks to be outlaws. And anyway, um, folks, helixsleep.com slash JCE is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows right now for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash JCE. You just got to go there and check it all out. It depends on what you get, but they're going to give you a bunch of stuff that you didn't have before. And they've got over 12,000 five-star reviews and at least 18 coming from the Tokyo Dome. And some sorry son of a bitch with no job and no life has slept over 1 billion hours on Helix mattresses. Oh, I guess that's everybody combined, right? Everybody, a billion hours have been slept yeah, why on would, these mattresses. And why would it be one sorry guy? It sounds like it would be one very happy, relaxed guy. Well, he never wakes up so he can tell you whether the mattress is any good or not. He just stays there. He's in suspended animation. Could be Buck Rogers. He'll wake up in the 25th century. <laughs> anyway, so you got that going for you. Up to $200 off the mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash JCE. If you don't believe me, well, fuck you then. I'm not lying to you, but just go to the website and find it out. You'll see for yourself. And take that quiz and tell them your favorite position and then tell them your wife's favorite position. And then the delivery people will be happy to know about that. You know, Brian, when I got in the business, the first mattress I had was cardboard wrapped in old homeless bums handkerchiefs. Oh, come on. That can't be true. It's not. 
But anyway, I just thought it'd make a good story. Uh, speaking of making a good what story. What a carny. What a carny what this a carny. guy is. Speaking of making a good story, I got this email from Rhonda Shane. Oh, Rhonda, writing in again. No, Ron DeShane is his name. Gentlemen, thought you might enjoy this lovely story. It brought a smile to my face and warmed the cockles of my heart. I've always thought highly, I've always thought highly, I've always thought highly of Miss Elizabeth, but never more so than now. And he sent me a link to an interview on some sports keto website where our favorite shit stain was telling a story about his interaction with Miss Elizabeth during the WCW days. Would you like to just hear this one little brief excerpt of this? Yeah, I don't remember too much about that period of time. I wasn't watching too much WCW, so I don't even know they had interaction. Well, and, and so many other people weren't watching it either. So, and, and just for the new listeners, I'll say it once. Shitstain is Vince Russo. <laughs> the taste in my mouth that comes up when that happens. Anyway, so Shitstain is quoted as saying, I had to go down to ringside, scoop her up, and walk her in the back. Russo said, oh, shit, I said it again. So I go out there, I scoop her up. Bro, I swear to God, bro. She shoot slapped me across the face and dislocated my jaw. Bro, the hardest I've ever been hit in my life was by Liz. I swear she disdained me. She let me know she didn't like me. And Ron goes, uh, goes on to say, I wanted to know if Jim had any other stories about talent physically assaulting our favorite overgrown New York sewer rat, or is Liz the only one that managed to get a shot in? Well, I, like you, Brian, was not watching WCW at that point in time, but we know that Goldberg, I guess, was the one who speared him through the cage wall when he was wearing the goofy football helmet, and he claimed he got a concussion from that. and. I mean, you know, when you take a completely unathletic, buggy-whipped-armed idiot that's never been trained in any way, shape, or form and doesn't have any mental understanding of what wrestling is or is supposed to look like, chances are they're going to get hurt no matter what they do. But he shouldn't have been physically interacting with anybody anyway because he wasn't equipped for it. He couldn't take bumps. He couldn't work. He couldn't do offense. And he didn't know how to protect himself. But... As far as I know, those are the only two people that ever got a shot in on him. However, the reason why I even bothered to read this story and even give him any oxygen is because, Brian, I don't know whether we haven't told it on the show since you've been my co-host because I've been telling this story for 35 years. So I don't just bring it out annually or whatever. But it's on shoot interviews that I've been doing going back as far as shoot interviews have been done. I think it was first printed in one of the uh, newsletters during the Smoky Mountain Wrestling days. But I know for a fact, I don't know that I ever told this in front of Shitstain, but I know for a fact I told this story in front of Bruce Pritchard one day. And it sounds remarkably similar the story that Shitstain just told to the story that I it was involved in with Baby Doll. Have you heard my Baby Doll story? I think so. I think I remember the story you're talking about where you were backing up at ringside. 
Well, no, it, it, no, that was when she punched me in the back of the fucking head. We put a videotape out on Twitter of that a few years ago when Paul Ellering was chasing me around the ring in Raleigh and Baby Doll was late. So I had to take an extra fucking loop. And then when I saw her coming, I was backing up to her so I could turn around and she and nailed me. But since she was panicked because she was late, she, at a dead run, drove the, her fist straight into the back of my skull and knocked my brains out. No, this was when she dislocated my jaw with a slap. Remarkably similar to this story. We're in St. Louis. It's the Midnight Express. Me, Bobby Eaton, Dennis Condry in a cage match at the Great American Bash against Baby Doll, Dusty Rhodes, and Magnum TA. And the tease is the boys are going to get, I think it was Magnum down for a second. And I'm going to tag in and I'm going to go to drop an elbow or do something. And Magnum's going to move. I land. He tags baby doll. And when I get up, there's baby doll. Cause people want to see baby doll, get their hands on me. And the spot that I called with her, because I don't know if everybody's aware of this or not, but baby doll was never trained to work. And baby doll at time, this was 1986. If she didn't outweigh me by 10 pounds, we were the same height, the same weight. And she was the women's high school shot put champion in Lubbock, Texas at one point. And so I called the spot beforehand. I said, when I get up and turn around and you're there, draw back and swing and go to slap me and I will jump backwards and fall on my ass and crawl and tag the boys because it's not time for her to get a hold of me. That was the finish, right? The finish is when she gets a hold of me. It's not time yet. So I dropped the elbow. Magnum rolls over, tags her in. I come up selling my arm and turn around and the slap that she was supposed to miss right in front of my face, she clocked me. She's right-handed, so she hit me on the left side of the face. My jaw popped out. I go backwards. I'm seeing sparkly things. The jaw clacks back in and I meekly roll over and tag Bobby in or try to. And when I put my hand up, Bobby said, fuck you. I don't want to get in there. And for three or four days, I couldn't chew because you're, when the jaw dislocates, it's right next to your ear. Have you ever had this happen? No. Okay, it's right, right next to your ear, and it comes out of whatever the hinge is there. And like I said, mine popped back in, but that does create some issue inside your jaw that it's sore for a while. And then after that, for about, 10 or 12 years after that, it made a clicking noise every once in a while, especially if I yawned real wide. So one day, when I were at Vince's, me and Bruce Pritchard, I can't remember whether shit stain was there or not. Because I put that out of my head times when I had to be in the same room with him. But I remember me and Bruce talking about the girls and we're booking the girls anyway. Luna was there and Miss Texas, Jackie, Jacqueline is who the WWE fans know her as. And they were both uh, able to take care of themselves. And we're talking about, I was telling stories because somehow we started talking about the girls and who was stiff amongst the girls and who was stout amongst the girls. And I was telling a story I'd seen Jackie in Memphis just beat the piss out of Brandon Baxter in a working way. But God, it was like she, he owed her trans. And Luna could get carried away also, but I told a story about Baby Doll dislocating my jaw and i remember showing him the or making him listen to the snapping sound 
So all of a sudden, all these years later, I'm not saying he's lying, but it's awful coincidental that my arch enemy is the only other person I've ever heard of that gets their jaw dislocated by a slap from a girl in a wrestling match. Do you, do you think, do you smell the smell of rotten eggs here, Brian? I'm reading breaking news. Here's an article here. Vince Russo on the night I fell off the scaffold. Hey, come on now. Anyway. He was supposed to be caught by Jeff Jarrett, but Jeff saw a guy <laughs> with money in the crowd and went the other way. Oh, I wonder how many people, if you had a thousand people <laughs> in the wrestling business, I wonder how many would actually stand there and try to break that idiot's fall. Twelve? What do you think? Speaking of people getting hurt, have you heard the, the injury report these days now? The, you know, the one that's driving me crazy. Have you heard about Rhea Ripley? Did you see this on Twitter? She sent a picture out. I did not see a picture, and I briefly heard that she was injured, but I haven't heard too much about what it was. Rhea Ripley is injured. She got a concussion and her front teeth damaged by taking a DDT. Her own knee came down and hit her own face. Oh, my God. I've never heard of that before. No. And I don't know. And I again, you'd never know these days. They're doing things differently. I don't know who gave it to her. I don't, I don't know how she took it. That's an odd one. But now, Rhea Ripley's out. We've talked, obviously, Punk, Cody. Adam Cole has been out. Now, Danielson just announced Danielson got hurt, and nobody will say what the injury is, but there was sus they were suspectifying that it was a concussion. And in his promo this past Wednesday, which we'll get to here, unfortunately, at some point, the, that whole show, he said something like, I can read 500 words a minute. Uh, if he got a concussion, the point is he got it, in the 10-man garbage match that they did on the last pay-per-view. No reason for Brian Danielson, a talent like that, to be in a garbage match that anybody can do. And especially a guy that's had a history of concussions, put him in the ring and let him do what he does best that nobody else can barely come close to. Or stick him in with a bunch of green fucking goofballs doing 25 minutes with furniture all around the arena for no reason. So now Danielson's hurt. And Kyle O'Reilly, did you see this? Kyle O'Reilly's out. I actually just heard something about it this morning. What happened to him? How did, he, he wrestled. Because now it's obvious that if you get in the wrestling ring, you're going to get hurt. I don't know. They haven't said yet. How many of these guys getting hurt are working one day a week? Almost all of Who works more than one day a week anymore? The WWE guys, they do three now, maybe. I, I that's I've lost track of the rest of I mean they're red velvet. Red they're they're looking for new baddies because red velvet's injured. So it, people we don't even ever see wrestling on television. Are they getting hurt on, on fucking YouTube? They're getting hurt somewhere. I mean, the CM Punk thing was a bit of a freak accident. 
You know, he, sh- he shouldn't have jumped into the crowd more than likely, yeah. but he didn't know his foot or his leg or whatever it was was going to hit the barricade and whatever was going to happen was going to happen. And whatever happened with Cody, you can tear a fucking muscle. You know, we've talked about that. So that was just right. very bad timing and two top stars at the same time. Perhaps Cody was bulking up a little too much. I don't know. But the Danielson thing, correct me if I'm wrong, did he? He got hurt in that arena match the arena brawl wasn't even yeah. in like a wrestling match it was in no, the that, that that's what i'm saying the 10 yeah. man garbage match it's a pay-per-view why put him in that and then and they're fucking throwing furniture around and bullshit and he got hurt in that when he should have been involved in it anyway because any dipshit can do that stuff i mean we've seen multiple on-air concussions from the hardys multiple i mean it's crazy when you really think about it well actually jeff would be out injured if he wasn't in jail or well, under, not in j- he's not in well, jail. You know, if he if he wasn't. <laughs> well, now and apparently the hey, you never know. Um, apparently now though he's in treatment. Yeah, this was a st- so. The point is, he was. We've now narrowed this down by statements that everybody has made. Apparently, when Jeff was pulled over for a blood alcohol level of three and a half times the legal limit in the state of Florida. He was on his way to his brain scan where they were going to, I'm sure, tell him, oh, fuck, you got no business wrestling for however long because he had just had a match that he didn't remember. And they switched the finish of the recent triple threat tag team title ladder fucking fiasco because originally they were going to put the belts on the Hardys. So instead, they put the belts on the Hardleys. So Jeff would be on the injured list if he wasn't in treatment. So, and I mean, we're not we're not mentioning everybody here because the list is so long and we've forgotten. I don't Randy have Orton. Randy Orton. Now they're saying he may be out till the end of the year. And again, Orton, he doesn't do stupid shit. He 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 works carefully and professionally but over time shit accumulates there's always a breaking point so it can happen at any time the problem is it's never before ever happened with such frequency over and over and especially concentrated in one company on one side you got cody and orton out well, on the other side, you got everybody else. One other one, because it kind of goes to your point of the stupid shit being what causes this. Remember, we saw on TV Big E break his neck because he took a belly to belly on the floor. Oh, yes. I in the middle of the Big match. E. Yeah. Big E. He's. um. So. I, I mean, you know, maybe they've uh, just uh, decided to accept this level of risk with what they're doing. But, the, you know, it's. It's stupid. I know he's not on your list, but Omega. Omega's been out <laughs> close to a year almost. Well, he had point. to have everything fixed. From again, working, he's not working 200 days a year or 100 days a year. At least he has in the last few years. I don't know what he was working, a full-time New Japan schedule or DDT schedule, what that was. But he was working Dynamite. That's it. World's greatest wrestler. Let's see, from, besides for the plane crash between 1974 and 1994 the longest that rick flair was ever out of the ring was more due to a legal contract 
fiasco than any injury. Can you remember when he was the NWA champion? When Flair was on top in the Carolinas from the mid-70s, won the, the NWA title first time in 1981, through the end of the WCW-TBS era, 1991-ish, when he went to work for Vince, when was Ric Flair ever injured for any significant period of time? I'm not sure. I mean, the only angle I could even think of where he was injured was the Terry Funk neck angle in 80. And that was an angle. He was out on, yeah. but not injured. Right. He had, he had injuries. There was times he would take a few days off, whatever. But again, and this was with not only the NWA champion schedule, but just your schedule in the Carolinas in the seventies. What maybe you had a day off one particular month, but you made up for that with double shots every single Sunday. And in the hour broader, et cetera, et cetera. So, and I mean, I know Flair's a freak of nature, but... Yeah, Ahmed Johnson's say, on the other side of the scale. Well, but you could say the same thing about all the guys in the territory days that were in top positions. And yes, some of them wrestled hurt when they shouldn't have, but we're talking about people that are injured to the point where they can't wrestle and they need surgery. And I guess they're... Like I said, the modern generation is happy with the style where everybody knows it's phony, but they like to see you get hurt, so you'll just do it on purpose rather than convincing them you're hurt while you're really not because everybody knows how to work. We'll try to keep updating this list. I'm sure that more will come in, and now somebody's going, oh, Cornette wants everybody to be hurt. No, I think they're all stupid, except the people where... Shit just happened and it's going to happen. But the people that have to have multiple body parts repaired or replaced because they're doing dive after dive that nobody gives a shit about anymore and everybody's seen or taking bumps through tables on concrete in undercard matches or on television when somebody just did it in seg three, fuck you. And what do you expect? You know, I'm telling you, Brian. A lot of these people also, we talked about our friends at Helix Sleep earlier in the program, but a lot of the boys, they just don't get the proper sleep, even if they have the surface to sleep on, even if they've got a nice mattress, even if they've got a quiet home, even if they've got no worries, they just, they can't turn off their, their inner mechanisms and get a good night's sleep. And that causes weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health, lower productivity, lower white blood cell count. And if you have a low white blood cell count, you're never going to get pregnant, right? That's been established scientifically. Have you heard that? I'm not sure. I was hoping that you actually knew what you were talking about here. Well, I do. If, if, you're, if your blood white blood cell count is down, then you'll never get uh, your your significant other pregnant, whether it's a man or a woman. Neither one can get pregnant if you've got lowered white blood cell count. And not many people realize this also, but having a consistent nighttime routine is very important because a better tomorrow starts tonight. And I'll tell you, there's no better way to get a blissful night's sleep than with the dream powder from our friends at Beam. Because after all, everybody knows Beam is the world's most innovative, functional wellness brand with unique products for everything from sleep 
to recovery. They'll put you to sleep. They'll wake you up again. And they'll fix you up in between. And the Beam Dream Powder contains natural sleep-promoting premium ingredients, triple lab tested. They took them to three different labs. They didn't believe the first two. They wanted to make it all the way. Three, three labs, triple tested. And you'll wake up refreshed. As soon as you wake up, whenever that may be, whatever day, week, month, sometimes you can leave a note before you go to sleep and somebody will remember to wake you up. But you'll be there pretty much till somebody intervenes. 98% of the people surveyed in this particular survey fell asleep faster when taking Beam Dream and 99% of people experience better sleep quality when they take this delicious cup of hot cocoa. All you do is stir the powder into milk or water, and actually milk is better. We don't want to live like savages. And you drink it down, and like I say, 98% fall asleep faster, 99% of people better sleep quality. That other 1%, they've done the documentation, and you know those people, they were organ donors anyway, so nothing was harmed. There, that last percent does not exist. You will be fine. You will wake up alive and with your organs. Yes, and, and if you're an organ donor, then for those 1%, they'll still be able to use them afterwards. After you know, your life. But after yeah. you wake up from beam, you still have many years no, to go. No, you won't wake up. At one no, percent, you, you at, will wake up. You absolutely... At 1%, we've never, we never got any response from them on the situation. But if you don't love it, you'll get your money back or your estate. <laughs> the folks at beam... <laughs> The folks at Beam will either refund you or your estate if you don't love it and if it doesn't make you sleep properly and then if you're not available to be woken up. And, and leave a note if you want the money to go to charity. For a limited time right now and for not too long in the distant future, you can get $20 off when you go to Shop Beam. That's B-E-A-M on the Beam. Shop Beam dot com slash jce use the code jce at checkout you'll get twenty dollars off i'm telling you this stuff is great stace uses it every night well the other day i went and talked to her and she had a conversation with me for 30 or 45 minutes said a bunch of things that i wrote down to hold her to later and then didn't remember a goddamn thing afterwards it was amazing but i've still got the notes so again folks twenty dollars off shop beam dot com slash jce use the code jce at checkout and you will sleep the sleep of the blissful because yes you know what they say ignorance is bliss and this stuff will make you stupid sleep well enough of such frivolity we have uh wrestling talk to do and a little classic wrestling talk at the start of this thing because you know we've done some st louis history in the past the uh Folks seem to like that when we delve, because St. Louis was the capital of wrestling for so many years in the 40s and 50s. Uh, and the people have liked that. And as a matter of fact, Jared from St. Louis wrote, Hello, Jim and Brian. I recently emailed you about the passing of my grandfather. My family was going through some things in his house, and we found an old letter from a friend of my grandfather describing seeing my grandparents on TV at a wrestling show. The letter says the date of the show was May 19, 1951. What can you tell me about this era of St. Louis wrestling and who might have been on the card that night? I thought, well, this will be easy, right? 
I'll just go to the St. Louis Program Archive. I'll go to May 19th, 1951, and I will jot these things down and give Jared a little thrill, right? That's what I figured I'd do, Brian. It wasn't that easy. Because now we've got a mystery on our hands because there was no wrestling card in St. Louis on May 19th, 1951. The, as we've talked about when we've done the St. Louis history, Sam Muchnick, who was running the, the one wrestling promotion, and Martin Thez, who was running the other wrestling promotion, they were actually secretly working together, but they were still, and I've got my notes falling all over the place over here. They were working together, but they were still uh, separate entities, and they ran basically weekly on an alternate basis. Muchnick ran every two weeks. Thez ran every two weeks. And they would do seasons. So the wrestling season in St. Louis would open anywhere from the middle of September to the first part of October, and they would run through to the following spring. In April 1951, the wrestling season ended on Friday, April 27th. And at that time, Muchnick was advertising an opening date in the fall for the 51-52 campaign of either September 14 or 21st, and it ended up being October 5th. So while there was no wrestling card live in St. Louis on May 19th, it still could have been on, something could have been on television. Remember we found the little trivia bit, Brian, that the first world title change was televised in St. Louis in 1947, an experimental broadcast from the uh, Keel Auditorium. And what was it? Was it Watson and Longson? Goddamn, now we found trivia and then I forgot the trivia we found. Yeah, I forgot what the match was. It but was it, de- it, I think it was definitely Longson, but I'm not sure. It was Longson and I, that was either one or the other, Watson or Thez. But the point is, there was experimental television in St. Louis we know for a fact from these programs and documents in 1947-48, but then we've talked about there was no local television. There was television wrestling on in the in the early 50s because of the networks, but there was no local wrestling televised in St. Louis because Muchnick wanted a sponsor to pay for the broadcast. And then in, what was it, 1953, he got the beer company. And that ran for a few years. So now I'm like, okay, if they weren't, there was no wrestling at the chase going on at this time. There was no local wrestling television program, but they still could have been on the news from a clip from the arena or the the keel or whatever, except there was no card that night or anywhere in that month. So now I'm really fucking perplexed as to what it but was it was it a situation where they lived in St. Louis but maybe they were at another location and they were actually seen on the Chicago wrestling program Jared the point is a, a, we can't figure this out by these dates and this information but I can tell you a little something about the era of St. Louis wrestling because I thought this might be just a little fun to look at the two months March and April of St. Louis just for some of the the big matches because in this closing season closing program 
let's do this math, Brian. Since the previous October, since the wrestling season began, so October, November, December, January, February, March, and April, not counting April 27th, that card, more than 125,000 fans had bought tickets to Sam Muchnick's wrestling cards. And if you counted in the Fez promotion, the Mississippi Valley Sports Club, and a benefit program that was done for charity in March that drew 12,000 people, in those seven months, a quarter of a million people bought tickets to see pro wrestling in the city of St. Louis. Just a little over half a year. The highlight of those shows was 17,796 people that came to the arena, later the Checker Dome and then whatever they call it these days, to see the Luthez-Buddy Rogers world title match. That was 18,000 people there when they're running the town weekly. And then Rogers and Thez had a rematch on April 13th and drew another 12,000 people. And the combined gate for those two shows, the two Thez and Rogers matches, was $40,000. $40,000 in 1951 is equivalent to $440,000 today. So in a town that they were running every week, and had been for seven months, <laughs> just those two shows alone drew uh, 30,000 people and the equivalent of over $400,000 in today's money. And they've also got the taxes. The taxes collected just on the Sam Muchnick events, and bear in mind, again, a dollar equals $11 today, so times 11. Just on the Muchnick shows, he paid $17,000 federal tax, $5,000 state tax. So that's the equivalent of over $170,000 and over $50,000. $4,500 to the city, $1,600 in sales tax, and the Veterans of Foreign Wars, which sponsored the programs because they had to have a charitable sponsor for athletic contests, they got $1,650 just for being the group that they affiliated with. That's some fucking business. And the, the, the cards that they were booking at the time, you know, yes, they'd use the local guys in the underneath matches, but you had some of the biggest names in the business flying into St. Louis on a regular basis, whether it be Thez or Rogers or Longson or... In this case, um, hold on here, a good program. I'm just trying to flip across. The season closer also featured Abe King Kong Kashi, who, remember, he's the veteran that had Vern Gagne's first match. So St. Louis Wrestling was doing great, Jared, in 1951, but we can't find your grandparents. But can you imagine? Any city in this country now, Brian, where pro wrestling would have that kind of... And again, this is 70 years ago. What was the population of St. Louis 70 years ago? And can you imagine any 
modern day promotion having that kind of profile in a major metropolitan area in a big city in the United States to where they were literally drawing uh, so what's 250,000 divided by 7 let's say let's divide it by 5 just to make it easier but they were drawing 40,000 people a month to the live events on average I have here uh, the population. It's not even doable today. What what was the population then? So we're talking 1950, 1951, but same same thing. Yeah, it, it has it every ten years, obviously. So 1950 uh, for St. Louis City, 856,796, and for St. Louis County, 406,349. So a metropolitan area of 1.2 million people mm-hmm. selling. 40,000 or more wrestling tickets every single month to a major, the major arena in town, both of the major arenas in town. Think that's going to happen anytime soon again? And they could afford to take the summer off. (laughs) It was just too hot in the Keel Auditorium in those days. So how are we going to find, track down Jared's grandparents any closer than that? Well, you know, there's different websites. You take their DNA and you send it in and they try to figure out where your family is and who they are and what they are, where they're yeah, from. Where they're from, what they are, what they're all about, what their white blood cell count is. You know, if you don't get that white blood cell count up, you ain't going to have kids. Anyway, would you, speaking of kids, would you like to talk about NXT for a second? No, I really wouldn't. No. Oh, well, yes, you would. Because I, this is starting to be a recurring uh, segment here on the program where I just read the results of NXT television, what they had the gall to expect us to spend two hours of our life on. Would you like to hear this week's results? Just br- I didn't watch it, obviously, but just briefly, some of these names. Okay. All right. This is the results of this past week's NXT television program. Grayson Waller. Defeated Solo Sokoa. We mentioned Sokoa ain't bad, but boy, he needs to find a new new place to go to stand out. Katana Chance and Caden Carter beat Valentina Ferez and Ulisa Leon. Roderick Strong, poor Roddy, poor Roddy. Talk about a diamond and a fucking cow pie here. Roderick Strong and Damon Kemp defeated Cruz Del Toro and Joaquin Wild with Channing Lorenzo and Troy Donovan in their corner. Where's Sally Field and Tuesday Weld when you need them? Cameron Grimes defeated Idris Enough. Von Wagner toppled Brooks Jensen. Alba Fire defeated Lash Legend. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Alba Fire defeated Lash. Apparently, they're giving up on Lash Legend already. The legend of her awfulness has spread far and wide. And finally, you know what the main event was? Carmelo Hayes defeated Troy D'Angelo. What the? These are not even real people names. I mean, guys used to switch their names because their names sounded like shit on a marquee. You know, when you heard Reggie Lasowski, did you think he was going to beat you up? No, but when you heard The Crusher, okay. 
Randy Poffo may not have been anything to write home. Randy Savage. Ric Flair. And now it's Troy D'Angelo. Alba. Alba Fire. <laughs> Channing Lorenzo. What the fuck? If you're going to make up a name, make up a goddamn cool sounding name. Don't make up names that nobody is even named to begin with and they still don't sound cool. Did you see that apparently Triple H went down there this week and told everyone that he's back? I heard that. I I don't know whether it was a a Tarzan yell followed by a fucking grand gesture and I'm back. I think it was like I'm back, you know, but it's got to be all hands on deck with what's going on, but what's he going to do? It'd be like me going back to OVW right now. What am I going to do? Go to the corner gas station, get a can of gasoline, set the fucking thing on fire? They've burned it down already. It, there's nothing to work with. So, if, yes, he's back, and I'm sure trying to help out the family. But what the fuck, by the time that he would finish putting that thing back together in any kind of entertaining fashion, Vince will be back in the fucking chair. He'll have beaten the rap. And then there's, oh, thanks. Thanks, Hunter. We appreciate you dropping by. And now we're going to fire everybody you just put in place again. But it's it's nice to know that he feels the the call of duty to help the family, even though he just had a goddamn near fatal heart condition and ought to be home with his feet up because his father dipped his fucking wick in the steno pool or his father-in-law, if I didn't say that properly, he's got to go back to work with a bad heart. What the fuck? I, w- I wonder if um, I wonder if Triple H and Don Jr. and Stephanie and Ivanka could have any commiseration sessions going on with the things that their father puts them through. All right, well, we've got another update on a continuing segment, and then we've gotten more emails. This is starting to be, I don't know if popular is the right word, but definitely it's starting to get a lot of talk and a lot of feedback. The Hogan's Beach Shop Stories, and its manager, the as one of our writers called the Ron Howard Experience. Um, every time we read one of these emails, Brian, people just keep sending them. They want their own interactions to be to be, uh, uh, I guess, documented for posterity. Would that be the, the right word? But we've got a couple more. Would you like to hear a little bit more Ron Howard, crazy conspiracy theorist, Hogan's Beat Shop, blah, blah, blah. Well, to be honest, I think we have more than a couple more, but you may have a couple more in front of you because <laughs> yeah. there are a lot of stories coming in to this day. They're still coming in. Because I love the people say, oh, they must have been making that stuff up just to get the letter read. Well, no, a lot of people have a lot of time on their hands then. This is from Tony. And I'm going to paraphrase and or skip around a little bit because it's lengthy. But we had a winter break and had vacation time to use. So we left the heart of freezing ice, sleet, and snow up there in Michigan to have a nice visit in the Clearwater area. And this was the first week of February 2021. Uh, He says, President Joe Biden was just getting settled into office after the failed insurrection by the right-wing weirdos and Trump fanatics who are so far gone that they no longer grasp region or logic. So he decided, uh, that being Tony, to check out Hogan's Beach Shop 
and catch up with his family after the fact. When I entered, it was dead quiet. I saw maybe one or two consumers looking about, but something immediately caught my eye. The lone employee, who I'm later introduced to as Ron Howard, was staring at my mask with his hands on his hips and mumbling something to himself. He wasn't wearing a mask, although it was February of 2021. I went about looking at the sign pictures and posters and made my way to the belts. There weren't many people around. I was secluded there in the back. And what do you know? He comes strolling up to me and puts his hand out for an introduction. I introduce myself. He does the same. Says his name is Ron Howard. He went on a 10-minute word vomit about how he and Hulk are best friends and he is great friends with a lot of the greats from the Hogan area that still rotate around Hogan as if he was the son of their universe. It's the usual suspects. You know Hulk's posse. He said that if I prove myself worthy, I'd have the opportunity to hang out with him on Mondays at Hulk's restaurant and drink and sing karaoke with him. Ron then told me I don't need to wear a mask inside the store. I believe it was mandated at the time, but it was on again, off again in Florida. Ron then started ranting about how the masks don't help in any way, and they're the first step in the New World Order training us to be sheep. Ron then says he had COVID three times and it wasn't that bad and he even came to work as scheduled. So the fucking guy's a super spreader. He said COVID is a false flag operation intended to get people used to martial law type orders through various means. Donald Trump had found out about the New World Order and was going to take action by striking out against the leaders of the organization. The group leaders represent the G5. I thought we were up to eight, and then we dropped dropped one out, so we're up to we're seven. down at seven now. Yeah. Well, Ron only knows five. Ron says the New World Order had countries like Iran and North Korea and even Russia involved, and they're knowingly participating in these events to create mass panic, fear, and then acceptance of martial law and a new world government. Ron continued by saying Trump found out about it late in his term. He intended to take action, but the New World Order found out and took action first. They intended on intentionally infecting him with COVID, which they did. (laughs) Well, we got to send a fucking thank you card to the New World Order. It was at that point that the election rigging began. It's known that Trump won Michigan, Alabama, Arizona, and Pennsylvania. It wasn't even close. It was a landslide, but rigged against him. He kept going and going, and I started to tune him out and devise my own escape plan. There was one last interesting tidbit that Ron said that he was told by Hulk Hogan, who was directly informed by a former high level of the Department of Justice, that a fake Mike Pence was out in place to certify the fraudulent results. He, the, they were going to hang the fake one. That's why the real one is, is not actually cut, gone up and punched Trump in the face. I wish we actually had Hogan saying that so we could add it to the list of lies that we have. That he's Oh, told. God. But anyway, Tony continues, at that point, I knew this guy was off his rocker. I really wanted to check out the real NWA belt, so I moved the conversation in that direction. He said I could hold the authentic belt for $50, but I'd have to take my mask off before he would take the belt out of its secure location. I asked why, and he said that Vince McMahon has been sending in agents to steal the authentic belts, especially the NWA belt. <laughs> he I had did not, oh, this took a yes. turn I did not expect. There. Yes. He had me take my mask off. I, this motherfucker 
Well, I wouldn't have been in the place to begin with, with this fucking lunatic breathing on me, but I wouldn't have taken his, my fucking mask. Anyway, he had me take my mask off and I had to look at the camera. And after 10 long minutes, I was cleared to hold the belt. So I took my picture with the belt and after he put it back and I was checking out, he went on about how Hulk Hogan had him being Ron trained by a world renowned jujitsu martial arts expert so that no one would be able to steal the belt. This guy doesn't look like he could stop anybody. Anyway, that was his trip, and he says a 20 to 30-minute planned look around went from that to two hours and 45 minutes and cost him $50. There has to be a documentary in this. Do you think this guy's making shit up that Hogan said to him or that Hogan's just working him? Yeah, from what I understand, it's a second Mike Pence out there and doing all these things. Is Hogan working be both. him? Okay. It's got to be both. I mean, Hogan's telling him shit, whether it's about his belts or COVID or the fake pence, and then the guy's obviously mentally incompetent. But we have another one. Would you like to hear another one? Are you worried that Vince will send his agents to your house to get the Smoky Mountain belt? Not a bit. Okay. Because I know all of Vince's agents. <laughs> yeah, we know. <laughs> That's right. We know who the agents yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, why is Rene Goulet outside right now? You what the fuck's going on? I'd love to have Tony Gurria come in. We could sit and talk. Uh, Julian from Houston, Texas. Hello, Jim and Brian. Much like many others, I have a story about the idiot manager at Hogan's Beach Shop that you may find entertaining. I walked in unknowingly in February. I'm a big NWO mark because of my love for Scott Hall. May he rest in peace. So I found myself wandering around Hogan's Beach Shop. I use the term wandering or wondering around Hogan. He says, wondering. I use the term wondering because it felt like I was tripping on shrooms with everyone's favorite friend, Ron. I didn't even ask a question. He just engaged me because I had a Joe Biden hat on. It started out semi-normal. He jokingly said, take that off in here with a laugh. I laughed back and we talked about the NWO. I thought it was normal until out of nowhere, he just began and it was the most glorious musical number of idiocy I've ever heard. <laughs> These are some of my favorite lines of what had to be 10 minutes of nonstop dialogue. See, a lot of people concurring with things here. So here's what Ron <laughs> told <laughs> Julian. It's becoming a little bit like that scene in Beckley where everyone can agree you said something. But yeah, no one can agree exactly what you said. Uh, Democratic candidates are all told exactly what to say and do by the government that runs the country. That's why Trump was cheated out of office in favor of this fake Joe Biden. A video was released of someone training Joe on public speaking with an obvious microphone in his ear. The masks had trackers in them. That's why I never wore them. I got COVID-19 three times and it never bothered me because of natural immunity. Hogan himself has never got the vaccine and neither. Oh, there you go. So even if true or not, this fucking employee of Hulk Hogan's is publicly stating he's unvaccinated. So that's if don't let Hulk Hogan around any of you people. Hogan himself never got the vaccine and neither did I because we refused to be controlled. Soon the people who got the vaccine will all turn into government cyborgs waiting to be infected by tracking chips. It started with mass, then it will go to slavery. Most of the slaves will be middle-class white Republicans who are completely innocent throughout the pandemic. Hey, I'm going on record right now. 
I am in favor of the reinstitution of slavery if all the slaves will be middle-class white Republicans. I will abuse the fuck out of those people. I'll buy as many of them as I can afford, and I won't be of a kind slave owner. Anyway, Julian goes on. I wish I could remember more from the long line of conversation, but I can't. I do remember a few more one-off remarks, though. World War III is coming, and it will start in America when the Democratic Party attacks. <laughs> These people are projectors. Everything that they actually do, they think the other side's going to do. Uh, also, masks are the gateway to hell. Drugs are being put in the water supply in major cities to control your mind. Corona beer has traces of the COVID-19 vaccine. Masks don't work against COVID-19. They enhance the power of the government. Joe Biden has been dead for years, and this is an imposter pretending to be him. His ears are too big and his eyes are too small. His hair is gone, and he's seven inches shorter. Oh, come on. What is Nobody this? noticed about Joe dropping seven inches. Trump has the answers to why COVID-19 came to America, but they would kill him if he ever said anything. Let's cross our fingers. He starts spilling his guts. And finally, the election was stolen by Obama and Nancy Pelosi. I wish I had recorded that moment because I would be a millionaire right now from a viral video. Okay, here's the deal. This is fucking perfect. Thank you, Julian from Houston, Texas. I will send $500 to the favorite charity of anybody that can send us... <laughs> covert, secretly recorded audio of this stupid motherfucker saying any of this shit. Could we play something like that on the program? Somebody goes in wearing a wire, as they say on television, and gets old Ron Howard blathering on like this about this insanity. I don't know. It's, what it's a free country until the, until the mass enslave us and the government's drugs in the drinking water make us all mindless zombies it's a free country so wouldn't we be able to play that i think it would depend on what the laws in the state of florida are and also well, they have none it, it's not about someone making the audio for us if someone recorded that and put it on youtube we'd be allowed to play it but i don't know about secretly recording in the name of the show oh so well if i didn't say anything about naming the show we don't want to name names here okay let's, so let's say that some person that shall remain nameless and would never be revealed uh, was to record a conversation that they had with Ron Howard where these things were said, and then they put it on a YouTube channel, which th that's pretty easy for, for people these days that are conversant in technology, right? They could put it up on YouTube, and then we could pull it off of YouTube and play it to our heart's content. That's what you're saying. Yes. Well, it would be a shame if somebody did something like that, wouldn't it? And then sent us an email tell, telling us where we could find it. That would, I don't want that to happen. I, don't think I do not want somebody to go down there and record this idiot saying all these stupid things and then put it on YouTube and then send us an email telling us where we can find it. I do not ever want something like that to happen. Well, it doesn't sound like this guy's hiding it too much. No, I just want to hear it. I want to actually be able to hear it and broadcast it. And then I want somebody to go tell Hulk Hogan, hey, this fucking moron that you employ is telling people that you're unvaccinated. 
So next time you get on, a, because it's not like people can't tell who Hulk Hogan is. He still stands out. So next time he's going to go into some place that requires vaccinations or maybe get on a plane or do whatever, it'll be a little bit of a hindrance for him because he's not smart enough to go take a fucking shot. Stace just tried to get her booster booster. We both got the double shot. Then we got the booster. She tried to get the booster to the booster and they won't give her one yet because she's not 50 years old, but I have to go in next week. And the only reason I haven't got it quicker is because I never see any other human beings. But I, and Lance Storm said earlier today on Twitter, where's all these people with the, my body, my choice on the vaccine at this current time? Oh, would you rather take a shot from a hypodermic needle that'll protect you from a deadly illness? Or would you rather carry a fucking child to full term nine months, which is more of an inconvenience? Anyway, so don't dare record this fucking idiot and let us know where to find it. That's just something I'm telling you. Because we might play it, Brian, we might play it on the program here, or we might get, I don't know, a loudspeaker in one of those vans, and we might just go down the street and we might uh, play it from the loudspeaker so everybody can hear it, or maybe... Could we beam something like that to everybody's Raycon wireless earbuds? What do you think? No, it doesn't work like that. You can't beam something to people, but if there's audio out there, you can listen to it with your Raycons. Well, we need to start working on that then. Maybe we can uh, even bump up the Raycon wireless earbuds to even brand new technology where we have the power to specifically beam any kind of audio to the Raycon wireless earbuds and let all the Raycon customers hear it at the same time. That would be a benefit, an added bonus of enjoying the best, most affordable, and most comfortable earbuds on the market today. The Raycon everyday wireless earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. They got the optimized gel tips. You told me last week they're not made out of jello, that they're gel, but they're not jello. So you can't eat them. But they, they smell good, at least before you stick them in your ear. Then it's up to your personal hygiene. But Raycon offers three sound profiles to match what you're listening to, plus the noise isolation and awareness mode, so you can be immersed in sound. I mean, literally drowning in sound, where you can't breathe, and you're going down for the third time, and it's all around you. Or you can snap yourself back into awareness with the awareness mode, so you'll hear the things that are going on around you, and you'll re remember that those are the reasons why that you put the earbuds in your ears in the first place, so you wouldn't be able to hear that shit. Especially family members. Don't want to hear that stuff. And not only an eight-hour playtime and 32-hour battery life, but you get the same quality audio as the other premium brands, but at half the price. And these things are indestructible. Take a hammer to him. You did, did you see this on the news, Brian? A guy had a pair of Raycon wireless earbuds in, and another guy hit him in the head with a sledgehammer. And when the, when the mortician got the wireless earbuds out of the guy's cranium, they were still playing. It was amazing. Snowstorms, rain, throw them off the roof of a 100-story building. If you can find them, I bet they'll still work. Don't hold me to that. You might not be able to find them. But they got 49,000 five-star reviews, so somebody's found them. What have you done to your Raycons? 
I put them in my ear and I listen to music. Well, that's no fun. That's all you're supposed to do. I don't know what stories you're telling here. People should be listening to music or listening to podcasts on their Raycon. Well, I like to see how durable my goods and services are that I purchase. And these things are durable. But right now, if you want to check this out, folks, get the Raycons. You'll love the noise isolation. You'll love the awareness mode. You'll love the fit. They won't fall out of your ears. And what's more, if you want to jump off a bridge or get hit by a train while you're wearing them, leave instructions that once that they sop up your remains and take it to wherever it's going to be disseminated to your final resting place, make sure they pry those Raycons out of your head and see if they still work. I guarantee these things, they take a licking and keep on ticking. Anyway, go to buy Raycon. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N, buyraycon.com slash J-C-E today. You're going to get 15% off your entire Raycon order, buyraycon.com slash J-C-E, 15% off. How do you beat something like that? You can't. These things are great. And you just you just stick them in and play whatever you want to play. Sounds great. Sounds like the voices are coming from inside your head. The voices are inside the house, Brian. The call is coming. You know, here's the thing. I always try to do that when I saw those movies when I was a kid. How do you call your own house? You can't. You pick up the phone in the bedroom. You can't dial the fucking kitchen phone. It didn't work like that. How did they make those movies do that? I don't know. You don't really care, do you? Not really. What are you doing on the 605 this week? I don't really care. Uh, This week, another fine week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network and information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcast or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes. This week, we have a new episode of the Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast with Mike Sempervivi and Roman Gomez reviewing Mid-Atlantic TV from 1983, as well as a new episode of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast with myself and Mike Mills reviewing Mid-South Wrestling TV, here are the Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast at midatlanticpod.com, and of course the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast at midsouthpod.com, both shows available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. This week on Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon, Brian talks more about behind the scenes at WWF Magazine or WWE Magazine. Hear that today, suawpod.com. Or look for Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> Go through the archive today at 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mothership. Where's your sacks? Get your hands on your sacks. Oh, geez. oh God. God. Oh. Mm. What are you, a tiger? What is that? That was me trying to clean my ear out. Oh, clean your ear out? Yeah, from where you deafened me. Well, Jim, I may have deafened you, as you put it, but... Were you blinded this week by the wrestling that was on TV, specifically on Wednesday night? (sighs) Blinded by the light. 
ripped off like a deuce another runner in the night um it always sounds like douche when you hear that song well it, it, it only when manfred mann did it now he was a little looser with the uh the phrasing but uh the news was bad there too it was a bad show with bad news we start out with brian danielson that's always a positive thing that's always a winner I dare him not to dress like he just changed his oil. None of these guys will dress like stars, but okay, here comes Danielson and he plugs the pay-per-view and he plugs blood and guts and all is exciting and all is smiles. And then he says, I was, and he got the first word in there and people kind of went, I was looking forward to Zack Sabre Jr. I was excited about blood and guts to get at Chris Jericho and his flaccid crew of coxmen. I got to say one thing. That is the first time and probably will be the last time that we hear the phrase flaccid crew of coxmen on a wrestling <laughs> program. And I love it. Brian, you just, you topped me when I called Shawn Michaels a fornicator on Raw in 1996. But there was good news and bad news with this promo. And the bad news. He led with, he's not cleared to compete at either one of these programs because of what Chris Jericho and Jake Hager did at the garbage 10-man assholes in the arena match or whatever it was they called it. So he finished strong. He's talking about overcoming all of the injuries that he's overcome before and he'll do it again. But Brian, before I get into the good news that he announced... Did you detect, I mean, obviously he, he didn't want to be given this announcement. He doesn't want to be pulling out of these matches. He doesn't want to be having to say that, but it's true. So he has to, but did you detect at that point that he was starting to, sometimes guys fire up because it's called for in the promo. And sometimes guys fire up because they're desperately trying to sell the unsellable in a positive fashion to the fans. I think he was trying to make his exuberism and enthusiasm, exuberism, that's a dusty, exuberance and enthusiasm be infectious to the people, but they were still like, oh, fuck, now he's out. Did you kind of, could you, did you get that vibe is what I'm asking. I think people were pretty deflated once they realized what, where the promo was going. And then once he started saying these things and he tried to put a nice spin on it and say, I'll be back soon, but I won't be at the pay-per-view were blood and guts, which seemingly is this coming week, I guess. Well, no, well, the pay-per-view is this weekend as we're, and then the, the blood and guts is a free TV show. That's this Wednesday, right? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize it was coming up right after the pay-per-view for some reason. Well, why wouldn't it? So then he says, but there's good news. I mean, how are we going to get out of this with good news? He's found the one person that he trusts to take his place who can wrestle and fight. We will be astounded. They really promised us the moon, but he won't tell us who it is. And he said, because I came out of the bad guy tunnel. I wish he wouldn't give the little smart nod, but we're going to find out Sunday who the replacement is. Some people are saying it's Claudia Cesaro. He would fit the guy that can technically wrestle excellently. He can fit a guy that can fight. I don't know if he if we're going to be astounded. I don't know if AEW needs another WWE guy. Well, but I mean, as good it, as he is, don't blame Claudio because he took the job. He's he doesn't have the 
He doesn't have the WWE mindset. He wasn't trained there. Hopefully he doesn't have any of the stink on him, and he's learned some good things without learning the bad things. But, you know, anyway, I'm not sure this made it to chicken salad. They were trying to make chicken salad out of chicken shit. I'm not sure this made it. But as as Danielson finished, here comes Zack Sabre Jr., who I have never seen before, but I've heard the name. It's a name that sticks with you. We just heard his promo on the drive-thru. Right. Well, also, I mean, I've heard of him reading results and on the internet, etc. I've heard the name for a while, Zack Sabre Jr. I never heard of Zack Sabre Sr. He must not have got over. But here comes Zack Sabre Jr. And at least he was dressed for television. He looked quite nifty in his outfit, but he looks like another generic 20-something-year-old male model guy with a generic haircut. I've heard he can wrestle. Will we be uh, pleasantly surprised when we see him? Do you know anything about him? I've seen him. He's very, very talented. And I think the biggest issue I've had with him is just he's so skinny. Now, I haven't seen him in a few years, so we'll see how he looks. But he was a really, really good, serious in-ring wrestler who was just very, very skinny. And sometimes that you know, affects the way you see someone. Well, he had the suit on, so we can't tell. But I don't know. Adam Cole, later on, he looked skinny in a suit. Well, he didn't have a suit, but he had clothes on. Fuck, if he had bricks in his pockets, and now I don't know if he'd weigh 170. Looks like he's wearing his older brother's clothes. <laughs> the, the leather jacket. Uh, anyway, so Moxley did a promo backstage. Same shit. Then we had a six-man tag. It was Pockets with his buddy Trent and their friend Rocky Romero, what has he done to deserve having to get stuck in this situation against Will Ostrich, Kyle Fletcher, and Mark Davis? So we've got unknowns versus jobbers. And as I was sitting there, I said, look, think about this. There's Osprey, there's Fletcher, there's Davis, there's Pockets. There's half these guys look like the cast of Saved by the Bell. What it there are people we never saw till last week or we haven't seen regularly in the case of Trent and Romero. And of course we've seen way too much of the mascot. So they on speeds on screen speed search told me this went for a while. Did you watch this match? I watched it in part. I mean, I wasn't very interested just because I'm interested in Osprey, and I really liked Aussie Open when we saw them last week in that six-man match. I think that's what it was. But I have no interest in Orange Cassidy, and I may have even less interest in Trent and Rocky Romero as Rapungi Vice. I tried no to interest. watch. I tried to watch Osprey last week because they said he was the greatest wrestler in the world, and he didn't really do anything in that match. And I would have tried again here to see if he did anything. But as you mentioned, Pockets was in it. On-screen speed search told me that the mascot is still doing the same joke and it's still embarrassing. And a lot of people are saying about Pockets, well, but when he actually does wrestle, he can really go. Well, besides the fact that you can train a chimpanzee to imitate human mannerisms, but they don't understand why they're doing it, if Pockets does any wrestling move properly to another professional wrestler, it's just a joke sack of shit doing wrestling moves well, which devalues the entire business. So what he needs to do is go the fuck far away as he can. 
So, and they, again, we've seen Austri, Austri, Ostrich, Osprey, whatever the fuck his name is. We've seen him twice. And they want people to think that he's a great wrestler. They put him in six mans. They put him against these fucking joke opponents. Why do they expect people to take him seriously as a top guy when he's playing with children in a parody of an independent wrestling match? So they did a bunch of stuff at a high rate of speed, even if it wasn't on speed search. And then after they did every move that's ever been invented multiple times, pockets punched one of Mr. Belding's favorite students and pinned him one, two, three. So after every bump ever, an emaciated Valvoline employee gets the, the win with a fake Roman Reigns impersonation. And then after the match, here comes Jeff Cobb and Grado Khan, and they've got their tag belts with them from another cup. They've got everybody on this program now has a belt. A title belt of some kind. Ring of Honor, AEW, TBS, TNT, New Japan. Now it's five on three. The heels have the baby faces outnumbered, but then music, FTR. And I wrote, oh, fuck no. It was FTR's job to come down to the ring and back up the Lollipop Guild and the heels who were on the apron of the ring just jumped down and there was no violence, no confrontation. It's just, oh, well, we got up because we had more of you or more of us than you did. But now the odds are even, so we're going to get down. The only pleasant thing about this segment was Dax was wearing a Loverboy Dennis Condry t-shirt. Otherwise, it, Brian, a lot of people we don't know and don't care about doing shit that we don't understand. Did that sum this up? Yeah, I mean, I don't know why anyone would care about any of this. I think Osprey and Aussie Open are talented, and we just saw them all of a sudden on TV, and I don't think the viewers necessarily care so much right away, and you're a lot more lenient than me, I guess. I'm disappointed that they have FTR involved with Orange Cassidy in this That's what, shit. yes! I'm I think this just, is Tony Khan fucking doing stupid stuff, and uh, it's unnecessary because they're so over right now. They get a big pop every time they come out. People want to see them work. Oh, they just had a on one of the programs they taped for airing somewhere that nobody watches them. Cash Wheeler now gets beat by one of the New Japan guys. They've they've got guys they're bringing in that not even under contract, and they're taking top guys in their own company that are signed to long term contracts that are also currently champions in another division, and having them do jobs to fill in talent. So then, Sanjay Dutt, Jay Lethal, and Satnam Singh were in the hallway in the back where great talent goes to be forgotten about. And Lethal wants to face Samoa Joe for the Ring of Honor TV title, but Joe is still apparently injured. Uh, another for the injured list. And Jay Lethal did a great promo like he does every time, like because he should be a top guy here, but he's being booked into oblivion if you ever see him. And the excuse is, oh, the Indian audience. The audience over there, not I'm not talking about the Navajos or the Apaches. I'm talking about in India. They're going to love him. We'd like to see some of him here instead of the fucking clown show that you present most of the time. Then came the only reason that anything on television gave me this week to live and breathe, Brian. 
one of the single greatest performances that I've seen in years. It, we know that Christian Cage is a talented veteran. He can work and he can talk. He hasn't had the opportunity to do really either in the past year or so since he's been in the corner of Dino Dimwit and Jungle Boy. When he was presented as a babyface, his work is still good, but I don't think his promos are as good as when he's a heel. But now that he's switched heel, and now that he knows that a lot of the top talent is out injured, and his talents may be needed, the team is in need, we got to step up and do something entertaining. Christian Cage came out here and did the best 10-minute fucking interview that I've seen in I don't know how long. I liked the MJF meltdown promo, which was a completely different genre of promo as this and completely different topic, the whole nine yards, for a heel promo by a heel that's just turned, that wants to get the people on his ass and wants to get some heat verbally. This was one of the best performances I've seen in forever. From the start, he was on the people. It he it was an interview that Tony Schiavone held the microphone for, which was even more amazing that Christian did this effortlessly and like you used to be able to do with the announcer of the show holding the microphone for you. It, the material was fantastic. The delivery was incredible. The only thing that was lackluster was Tony, the Booker of the Year forgot to actually come up with a reason why that Christian turned on Jungle Boy, so they blamed it on Jungle Boy eliminating Christian from a battle royal last year. And he's mad at the fans because they cheered. And since then, it's been a plot to take all of Jungle Boy's money. I'm thinking Christian has a short fuse. He gets pissed off nine months ago and he finally does something about it. But he did a great promo with the worst reason for a turn ever in wrestling. And he gave shit to social media and the losers tweeting, blistering the fans. He was so genuine. It came off so flippantly, everything he'd say. And the whole story, we wanted to leech off Jungle Boy because he came back here to make money. He doesn't want to get young talent over he doesn't want to impart his knowledge to the next generation. He wants to make some fucking money. And he put himself all over the, over all of the kids. Eat my crumbs and enjoy it. And this was a promo also that referred to smart subjects, but didn't violate kayfabe if you knew, you knew. And if you didn't, it didn't slap you in the face. And now he's the guy, remember he came in, his his catchphrase was going to be, he was going to be the guy that outworks everyone. Well, now he says, now I got to get my own hands dirty and that pisses me off. And that's great because nobody, they want to see a lazy fucking heel that doesn't want to have to do his own work. I don't know what outwork everyone even ever meant and they, they dropped it quickly, thankfully. And then he tells... The video of him telling Jungle Boy's mother that she raised a piece of shit and then comes back to him and he says that Jungle Boy's mother was sweet on him being Christian because she wanted Christian to be 
Jungle Boy's father. After all, he had one, but he's dead. Oh, I wrote down, this is the greatest heel promo in years. And then they play music, and it's not Jungle Boy. It's the fucking dinosaur. And he comes out and snatches Christian by the neck. And then it started trailing down for me because Christian says, remember what happened to Marco? Well, if anything bad happened to Marco Stunt, a.k.a. Dwarf Dong Sucker, I'd like to hear about it, but it's cluttering things up here. And then Christian says, you're like a son to me. We got to talk in private, not in front of these people. And they hug and Christian smiles over behind his back and they walk off. But I love the promo and I love the idea we're going to see Christian Cage against Jungle Boy because, as we've mentioned, Jungle Boy is the shits when he's in with the indie guys because he doesn't know how to lead on his own. But when he's got a veteran like that who can play to Jungle Boy's strengths, his selling and his purdy face, and you don't want to see that young, purdy little boy get the shit kicked out of him, that will be a great match. But anything that the dinosaur is in is going to drag this down, make it look fake or hokey or just goofy. The guy has no instincts. He can't talk realistically, work realistically, or have the proper reactions. So I hope that he's not going to be an integral part of this. What do you think? I thought it was a tremendous promo. I thought it was really good. I didn't think it was going to be as good as it was, and it was good. I thought it went a little too long, but it doesn't take anything away from it. Maybe the most, I was going to say low-key, but it really wasn't low-key. The low-key best part of this was the outfit. The turtleneck. <laughs> he looked like such a heel. He looked like such a prick. We'll see where they go with Luchasaurus. I'm not going to shoot it down just because of that. Because I don't know where they're going to go. Maybe he loses the dinosaur mask. Who knows? Probably not. I bet he looks like a complete fucking dipshit under the mask. But this took forever to get him to the turn. I'm glad at least once he's turned, now I'm interested. And I would like to see him against Jungle Boy. And you laid it out there. We've seen Jungle Boy work with other guys like Jericho and different guys. Christian might be the guy who gets the best match out of him. I think he will be. Because Christian's been there and he knows how to fucking help a guy in the ring. Um, and, and that's the thing, everything, Christian was not in charge of the booking, which is why the turn has no sensible reason and why it took so long and they were broadcasting it to the point where it wasn't a surprise because, you know, when you, when you drop little breadcrumbs or leave little hints, they're not supposed to be the entire combination to the safe, right? It's supposed to be a hint, not here's every piece of information you need to predict the future. So. Anyway, I hope that, uh, but uh, Christian didn't have control over that, but when you send him out to the ring to work or to talk, he's got a certain amount of control over what he says and how he delivers it and what the match is. Maybe not the finish. So anything, the point I'm making is when you get guys like Christian or like MJF or like Punk or like several other people that we talk about, that know what to do and are talented, they can have great moments, great segments, great matches. It's just, they're the ones I feel the worst for because they don't have a booker to actually put the proper framework and structure and 
logic and sense and continuity around their individual good performances. They get, they put in great performances when it's not related to the booking. When it's related to the booking, there's somebody else involved that doesn't know what they're doing, and that brings it down significantly. So I feel bad for the guys who can perform and hold their end up because they're the ones that are being shorted. The other guys, they can't work, and they have these shitty indie matches. It doesn't matter whether the booking makes any sense or not because they ain't going to get over. Hey, looking back now, and I think we've gone a couple different ways during the last few years, but the return of Edge and the return of Christian, for a while it seemed like, well, Edge is being used kind of all right. Christian and not doing anything with. Now look at where we are. The worm has suddenly turned. 25 years ago, I think it was, their first tryout match. It had to be, if it, if it wasn't in 97, it was in 96, but I think it was 97. In Toronto, they worked with each other. And JR had signed them for like 300 bucks a week Canadian money on a developmental deal, right? <laughs> and I start putting them both over. And JR goes, shh, because Carl DeMarco, the head of the Canadian WWE office, Bret Hart's friend and sometimes agent, uh, he was, you know, in charge of a lot of the Canadian talent and or whatever. He knew the guys. He had pitched them. And as I'm putting them over, JR says, shh, and he walks me over to the corner of the grill position. He says, kayfabe DeMarco, we got him for 300 bucks Canadian a week. So, well, you're going to have to give them a raise sometime because they're good. Speaking of people that aren't good, the next match was Malachi Black against Penthouse. And I don't need to tell you anything more, but that was the match, and the referee was Rick Knox, the corpse ref. So this was, again, on fast-forward, on-screen speed search, but the highlight of the thing, I had to stop this and time this. They got on the apron and they did some ridiculous, contrived, slow motion back and forth. I'm going to give you a move on the apron. No, you're going to give me one. No, I'm going to block it. And T's giving you one. They're in front of the referee counting them on the apron. Right, Brian? And they're there for 45 seconds and Knox got to six. These guys are both just fucking rotten. It's unredeemable. They're always going to do something in the match that's fucking rotten. There was something redeemable here. What? We had recorded the drive-thru a couple days earlier, and there was a song about Malachi Black to the tune of Paint It Black. And when I was watching it come out there, I couldn't <laughs> stop laughing at the idea is tree branches on his head, and the lights go off, and they come on, and they go off, and they come on. <laughs> I can't look at this guy and not laugh. Wait a minute, those aren't tree br- I thought those were r- reindeer horns. I'm, <laughs> I'm not exactly sure, but how do you take this guy seriously? He believes in this. He thinks he's doing really good stuff. He doesn't realize how hokey and bad it is. And therein lies the problem. You got a guy letting the other, the wrestlers have their creative freedom. And now you're finding out what happens when a lot of wrestlers get creative freedom and no experienced, legitimate booker matchmaker is in charge of putting it all together. So then we got to see the hangman again. Did you know hangman Adam Page, Brian, has blocked me on Twitter? Yeah, I remember we discovered that a little while back. We had to look for something, and he blocked you. That's and he blocked right. me That's as well. Right. That's, That's right. right. Well, listen, somebody else sent me something where the page had said, and and 
That's why. Oh, that's what it was. Because Paige apparently was talking about something Booker T had said. Because Booker T made fun of Adam Cole's diminishing physique, and so. But when Paige said something about old people with podcasts, everybody thought it was me, and they tried to send me the the thing. But of course, it doesn't show up on mine because I'm blocked. But that's why another reason I twin tr- I twinded I trended on Twitter last week or whenever because. Oh God! Damn. So anyway, Adam pa- Adam Page basically is a uh, not only a fake cowboy, but apparently a very easily insulted and feeling hurt whiny little bitch. Also, so he wrestles Silas Young, the last real man who's actually from Milwaukee and worked for Ring of Honor. So he's probably getting a look see. They put Adam Cole on color because he can't wrestle. He's wearing the black leather jacket and the what looks like women's yoga pants now because they're tight on his bird legs. Uh, You know, as a matter of fact, did you hear that Adam Cole recently won a big legal fight? Legal fight? No, I hadn't heard anything about that. He sued both his legs for non-support and won. Come on. Come on. Um, I, I like Adam. How many times I said great shit about Adam? He goes there and the whole thing falls in a hole. And now it's summertime. I know he's injured. He was wearing street clothes. I don't expect him to look like Lex Luger while he's out hurt, but he hasn't seen the sun in a year and a half. How It's summertime. Does he go for, I have a tan from going out in the yard with my limb lopper. So they had a match, Paige and Silas Young, and Paige did the blind moonsault off the top again, like he does in every match, perfectly, despite the fact that he took his eyes off his opponent for 16 seconds, by my count. They go to the break, they come back. The first move back from the break is Paige superplexes Silas Young off the top rope, and in this case, they both actually sell it, and nobody even goes for a cover. Remember, they'll do the superplex where they'll land and the one guy will put his legs up and the other guy will fucking hook them, which kills the superplex. In this case, the guy that gave the superplex sold it as long as the guy that took it. Nobody even went for a cover. And then Silas Young, who looks like a wrestler but tried and succeeded in doing a flip, did a triple Lindy flip out of a handstand on the top rope and landed on his feet because Paige had moved. So literally Silas Young does a headstand on the top rope, bounces off of that, lands with his ass on the top rope, does a backflip, lands on his feet, and Paige just German suplexes him. Clotheslines him, hits him with a buckshot lariat, one, two, three, thanks for showing up. And then Adam Cole comes to the entranceway with the microphone, and apparently he's going to talk to Paige. But here comes Sling Blade Jay White, and he interrupts. And remember, he is Adam Cole's friend. Cole said, here's my friend Jay White, and they're friends. Well, as they were standing there looking at each other, Brian, did you notice that Adam Cole and Sling Blade Jay White look like brothers? Both have a beard. Both have dark hair. Both have hair pulled back in a fucking ponytail or a bun or something. Both of them are wearing a jacket with kind of flousy fucking sleeves, and they both look like if they turn sideways and stick their tongue out, they look like a zipper. They're about 170 pounds piece and approximately the same height. 
so and as slovenly dressed as Adam Cole is, Slingblade Jay White is also slovenly dressed. So now we've got two unkempt 170 pounders with ponytails doing wrestling promos at each other. It looks like a cable access show where the fans get to come up and do wrestling promos. Who is approving what these guys wear on television? Anybody? Nobody. How the fuck can that be? Have you seen what Tony's been wearing? Well, he's not on TV. I don't care if he comes in his pajamas, which he probably does instead of other female oh, right. parts. Oh, but stop nevertheless, it. stop it. I'm just, I just, it was there. It was there. I had to take instead it. of other female anatomy parts. <laughs> but seriously, nobody is telling these guys. You look like a fucking moron. You look like a goddamn repairman. You look like the Jiffy Lube guy. You're supposed to be a television star, unless it's your gimmick. If your gimmick is a f- the the Godwins or a hillbilly or whatever the fuck, everybody's wearing sweatpants or these. Tight jeans, a fucking t-shirt, a frousy fucking jacket, if that. The same hair, just pull it back and put a fucking rubber band around it. They look like people on a fucking street. And I didn't usually have to critique what guys were wearing on television when I was in charge of any company, anywhere, because most of the time they knew. They're stars on television. They're going to go out in their tights and they're going to be oiled and they're going to be tanned. They're going to look good. Or they're going to be out in street clothes. They need to fucking, unless it fits their gimmick, they need to be dressed up like they're somebody. And if you did have to tell somebody, you didn't have to generally tell them more than once. So again, this is why that this looks so amateur. And why when you leave these guys to their own devices, the WWE looks like a professional network organization and this looks like local television not the production the content so sling blades out there and he ain't gonna fight adam cole because adam cole lost to page so then jay white just tells page or tells cole he's not gonna fight him because you lost to him twice and walks to the ring and leaves adam cole standing there Now they've got Jay White, a guy that's not even signed to a full-time contract or exclusive contract of the company that's just told off Adam Cole and left him standing there with no rebuttal, like a lost child on a street corner, while he walks to the ring and he's going to tell Paige off. But they get in a fight and then Adam Cole comes in and nutshots Paige and they both get heat on Paige. But then... Cole teases hitting White with the title belt, but White catches him. And suddenly they play music again. And then here comes a blonde Japanese guy in t-shirt and sweatpants. That looks like a fucking Japanese M&M. And it's, it's Okada, supposedly one of their top guys in all of New Japan. Who looks like a fucking parking attendant. And he gets in the ring, and Okada and Paige have a sloppy fight with the heels and then stare at each other like they're going to fight, but then they turn around and go back to fighting the heels. So Jay Slingblade White is supposed to be the world champion of New Japan Pro Wrestling. 
he looks like Ned with a scraggly, unkempt beard, pulled back hair, and he doesn't look any bigger than fucking Adam Cole. Oh, yes, he does. Not much. I'm talking body weight, not height. And then Okada with the bad bleach job for no reason, and they had a sloppy fight. When do any of the, when, how is this designed for any of these people that we have not seen on the television before to make an impact and an impression on people seeing them for the first time? We have seen countless people debut on the show in street clothes. Well, Will Ospreay wore a robe, I'll give him credit. But in street clothes, just coming out there while Excalibur screams their name. And Excalibur is not an effective commentator unless you're in on whatever he's doing. Then he's just yelling names. You have no idea what he's even saying. I wouldn't have done any of this stuff if I was building up an interpromotional pay-per-view at New Japan. This is not the way I would have done anything. What's Okada's two greatest moves in a wrestling match? Do you have any idea? Uh, well, the Rainmaker is his biggest move, and that's like his short arm lariat. So I would say that's his biggest one. He's got two good moves, right? Yes, everyone has at least two okay, good moves. Okay, then here's what you do. Goddamn Adam Cole and Jay Slingblade White have their issues amongst themselves. They've said they're friends, but also they're being pissy with each other and White ain't going to fight Cole, but Cole still doesn't like Paige. So when White and Paige get in the fight, then fucking Cole comes in, nutshots Paige from behind, and both the heels get on this motherfucker, and they've got him set up to where they're going to give a double fucking paralyzing move to goddamn old poor old Adam Page, and without music or play the music, but let him run in tights and boots if he's got a physique, couldn't look any worse than he did in those street clothes. Here comes Okada, he hits the ring, and he gives one of his big moves to Cole, and he gives the other big move to fucking White, and looks like a world beater, and goddamn, the heels scamper out on the floor, and with shock on their face, oh my god, he's here, so it makes a big deal to them, and the guy looks like he can do something, and we don't have time to see through the fact that he can't do a lot of this other stuff, because the fight was sloppy as shit. And he's made an impact. And he looks like somebody. Instead, we get sloppy fights, street clothes. Nobody understands. They're, they're for each other. They're against each other. They're on each other's side. What the fuck? But none of these people are coming out and being put in a spotlight to make a statement or an impact or have a 30-second flurry where they are the center of attention, and they look better than everybody else. And that's the only way that you debut somebody on a surprise run-in and get them over. Elsewise, it's just these guys have staggered out there for a personal appearance in the fucking ring. Who gives a shit? Red Velvet, as we mentioned, is injured, but old uh, Malcolm Bivens, or what's his name now? Stokely Carmichael? Stokely Hathaway. There you go. He's looking for another baddie. Because Red Velvet's injured and we can't grieve forever. So they're filling her spot. He can talk. If he ever had top guys in any of these companies to work with instead of a girls group or, you know, the fucking green diamond mine, I'd like to see what he can do. Um, Shivani's too hokey in this stuff. 
I always thought he would be good oh, yeah. in the interview role, but he acts too much like a fucking clown. Well, because, see, he didn't do that 30 years ago because Dusty or any of us would have fucking told him once and forcefully don't do that anymore. He had respect for the business. when he He's talked about when he first was allowed in the interview room at Crockett's office in, what, 1981, 82, when they first hired him. He knew he was seeing shit he wasn't supposed to see, and he knew instinctively because he was a fan that he should never speak of it. And he respected the business. He respected the boys. And that continued through, I didn't associate with him or wasn't around him during the WCW years, but then he took 20 years off. And now he's come back and he sees the guys laughing about wrestling being fake and the promoters laughing about wrestling being fake. And obviously all of the, nobody respects the business anymore. So he just laughs at the bad comedy because nobody else cares. He didn't do that on his own. He's been taught that that's okay by the jack offs that are working in this company. But Tony was with Chris Statlander and Ember Moon. And they were doing a promo, making fun of the promo that Jane Cargill and Malcolm Stokely or Carmichael Bivens, whatever his fucking name is, they're making fun of the promo. It wasn't actually as bad as the girls' promos usually are here, but here's the thing. I'm going to mark this down. Chris Statlander, she's dressing like a human being now. She was announced from New York last week or two weeks ago instead of the Andromeda Galaxy. She has been apparently training since she was off injured again. And a lot of people have said she's improved. So the next time they put her in a single match with somebody that I'm not completely offended by, I'm going to watch and give her another shot. Because she's got the size. She looks like she's got the look. She's not a space alien anymore. I'll see what she... And also, did, did you see she can play the flute? Well, that was the recorder, not the flute. Well, I'm I'm sorry. I'm not up on my... On your fourth grade music class stuff? My woodwind instruments yeah, or whatever. Right. Uh, but uh, she serenaded the folks on Twitter with a fine rendition of Wednesday Night in the Key Demo, uh, instrumental version. She didn't sing it. And uh, but anyway, I'll reevaluate this now that she's a human. This was a good promo. I actually thought she was really good here in this promo because I don't remember ever really hearing her speak before. So I was like, all right, let's see where this goes because a lot of these women, like even some of the ones that come off WWE TV, they're not good talkers and they can't make it feel natural. Right. This feels like a girl being natural and getting in your face and she's going to kick your ass. Well, and Ember also, when they were joking back and forth, because normally, especially the AEW girls, we talk about it, they recite the lines with no emotion or they've memorized it and you can tell or it's, and the NXT backstage girl promos too are just horrible. But this, they have a, they have a rapport there, Statlander and Ember. Speaking of someone who doesn't have a rapport. Tony Storm versus Marina Schaefer. And now apparently the manager of Marina Schaefer is Nyla Rose. I get Vicky Guerrero's gone. We haven't seen Nyla Rose in months. She comes out in Marina's corner. Now she's her manager. Is this what we're being led to believe here? I guess so. This is the first time I saw it as well, and I was surprised. So I thought, okay, normally I like Tony Storm. 
But we know what we've got now with Marina Schaefer. So normally I wouldn't have watched this, but since all the controversy came up a couple weeks ago that Thunder Rosa was accused of sandbagging Marina Schaefer. and Shafir. not Whatever. And not cooperating with her. And blah, 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 which we said was complete bullshit. Here's the problem with Marina. She's not only not smooth, not a a natural worker, not comfortable and going from one thing to another. She's one of these people. I'm trying to figure out how for for anybody that's never been in the ring or anybody that's never been in a training set, she jerks you. She doesn't lay her hands on you, grab you, and in a smooth motion convey through body language where you're supposed to be going. She grabs and jerks. And that's why Thunder Rosa couldn't figure out how to take the snapmare. Because she was grabbed and, and kind of pulled and thought that that was the, the mayor. But no, that was just like, I'm jerking you to come out here and then I'm going to marry you. Well, she'd already started to go over. Or if somebody grabs you in a headlock, they're going to take you over. You can go over in one motion. But if they grab you and jerk you and then start to, you've already committed to going. Before they're ready, it's it's jerky. And Marina is jerky. And also, she's the complete shits. Because I watched this whole match. We know there's nothing wrong with Tony Storm. And this is three in a row. Tony Storm, Thunder Rosa, and whoever it was that we laughed about, my God. Jade. Jade. There you go. So... I mean, that doesn't mean that she's a horrible person and needs to be sent out on an ice floe like, you know, a fucking elderly Eskimo to be lost at sea. But it's not anybody else's fault that's in the ring with her. She's not good. She's not smooth. She's not comfortable nor confident because she probably knows that she's not good. And it doesn't look like that she naturally understands how this shit's supposed to look either, but that's just it. It's not Thunder Rosa or Tony Storm or anybody else. And Tony Storm won with a roll-up, which is probably the safest bet. And Nyla Rose comes in, and they start beating up Tony Storm, and here comes Thunder Rosa. And they beat up the heels. Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm, and then Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm have a stare-down. We're noticing a pattern developing. Two heels will get on one baby face after the fucking match. Another baby face will come down. The heels will get the shit kicked out of them. The baby faces will then stare at each other like they want to fight. Every segment. Then we come to the other high point of this program. The one that left you in convulsions, Brian. Darby Allen and Sting in the pre-taped promo from the back. When you and I spoke the other day, before you had watched Dynamite, after I had watched it live, sometimes if there's something I just want to make sure you don't fast forward through, I'll mention <laughs> it. And I told you, I said, you know, I don't know if you would fast forward through a Darby promo, but please make sure you watch this because it made me laugh hysterically for way too long. Not on purpose, though. That wasn't his his mission. Darby didn't want to make people laugh. He just succeeded. 
And again, you know, and I'm I'm blistering this kid because now we know why they don't let him talk. He really can't. He's got no personality. He has no bass in his voice. He can't raise his voice. He sounds like a nasally little nerd, a skateboarder. But sometimes you don't need to talk too much, especially if you're a baby face. And, he, you know, he's got that weird charisma, the appeal. People like to see him get thrown around. But this is the booking also. You take a guy who is not a strong promo to begin with, and then you tell him in this 60-second pre-tape interview, you have to plug your match on the Behind the Green Door pay-per-view that we haven't even announced yet. This was a match. He was announcing this match because this wasn't part of the preview that we did last week, was it? You know what? I didn't realize. Was this match for the pay-per-view? I thought it was for Rampage. Was it for the pay-per-view? Well, I don't know, because I don't know what the fucking match is. It's Japanese, guys. Yeah, I'm not even yes, sure, and I watched no, it's it. No, it's the pay-per-view, because it's, it's, it's either a tag team match or an eight-man tag. See, here's the problem, ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't see this. Darby Allen tries to plug a match. And I believe it's a match that we're going to see on the pay-per-view, because there's a lot of New Japan people involved in it. And... What he, I can't, somebody with more time than I have needs to go back and transcribe exactly the words that he used. But from watching this one minute promo with Darby Allen promoting and plugging this match that he and Sting are going to be involved in, I now know the following. Nothing. I don't know whether it's a tag team match or an eight man tag. I don't know whether all of the names that we've never heard that he mentioned are his opponents or his his friends, his partners. We heard about Shingu and Urumu and Phantasmo and Hikaluo. So again, I, like I said, Brian, I think it's on a pay-per-view and I think it's an eight-man tag because a lot of names were mentioned. But I still don't know who's partnering with who. And he said, I'm bringing, we're bringing our guys because you're bringing your guys and whatever the fuck. But at the end, and that's where he said, and Kyle O'Reilly's not cleared, but we're going to have Phantasmo and Hikalulo. Or is it, or are they going to have Shingu and Arumu? But it, it, once that you listen to this and just, if you sit down and try, if you say, I'm going to listen to this, because I listened to it twice. I'm going to listen to this, and all I want at the end is to be able to write down the people in the match that he's talking about. I couldn't. I don't know what the fuck it is. And all I know is these names, Tony Khan, with AEW and with this pay-per-view, has promised us a literal who's who of professional wrestling, and instead we've gotten a who's that. I wish somebody would hit me in the head so I could see some stars. Jim, I have this Darby promo you're talking about, if you want. Are to you it. serious? I'm can serious. We, can we play this with that? We're trying. If Tony won't sue us, we'll play this and promote his pay-per-view. And let's see if we can figure out what the match is when it's over with. Here is Darby Allen and his escort, Sting. Undisputed Elite, you saw what we did to Bobby Fish on Rampage. Kyle, you say you're not medically cleared. I don't believe that for one second. I just think you're too afraid to show up this Sunday at Forbidden Door. So what are we going to have here? The Young Bucks and two members of the Bullet Club, El Phantasmo and Hikaleo. 
versus me and Sting. You think we're gonna come alone? No, we got two members of our own. You wanna get crazy, we can get crazy. <coughs> Shingo and Harumu. <coughs> and one by one, Undisputed Elite, we're gonna take you guys out. And it continues this Sunday at Forbidden Door. We're gonna keep kicking bodies down the hill, all the way down the freaking hill! Until there's nobody left. <laughs> Two down, three, four more to go. It doesn't matter to us. At Forbidden Door, it's going to be showtime. Well, there he now, is. see right there, Sting tried to cover it because I assumed that he was lulled into a false sense of security when it was a tag team match in the first 15 seconds of the interview. But once that other people started showing up, now is it an eight-man tag? We heard... I think so. A number of names there sting obviously couldn't figure it out so he just decided he's going to kick some bodies down the hill i've been watching this whole episode with just random new japan guys showing up all throughout the episode so finally they get this darby promo i'm like all right let's see what darby says starts talking about kyle o'reilly i'm like all right and then turns into everything else just starts shooting out names we know a little well you don't follow japanese wrestling at all but I know a little more than, I guess, the average person who doesn't follow Japanese wrestling at all. The people at home have no idea who any of these names are. Shimu? Just throwing that at the people out there like they're going to care. I thought Hikalulo was one of those Hawaiian fucking dances that you did to the ukulele and the breeze. Oh, hello, Hikalulio. Hikalulio. All right. Thankfully... There's only one match left, Brian. And apparently this was supposed to be a big deal. Chris Jericho and Lance Archer against John Moxley and Tanahashi. And that's supposed to be Moxley and Tanahashi is obviously the matchup that's going to take place to determine the interim AEW champion. So naturally, let's make them team up because Tony has seen in the past when he was a kid watching wrestling that smart bookers often did an angle out of that with the champion and the challenger. Unfortunately, this wasn't a smart booker nor one of those times. The match was different. You got you to gotta admit that. They started it out with a jump start and a four-way at the bell. That never happens on AEW. They're going in a completely different direction here. And then they continued to think out of the box, doing stuff that had never been done before. Moxley and Jericho had a sloppy, fake-looking fight on the floor. It's like half the time they don't even care the cameras on them when they're throwing the fake punches. And there was one of these brawls on this show. It was Adam Cole when he was in that Donnybrook, where he was just... I've, I've hit people harder when I tap them on the back to ask them to turn around so I can tell me what time it is. But anyway, and then uh, uh, Tanahashi and Archer were in the ring while Moxley and Jericho were on the floor, and Archer cut Tanahashi off immediately. And then Jericho tags in when they settle it down, and Jericho beats up Tanahashi. Am I correct in assuming that this is Tanahashi's first time wrestling on an American promotions television? I'm not sure if he's done anything for TNA or... ROH in the past, but this well, is Well, nobody would have seen that. Yeah, this is certainly his first ever mainstream wrestling appearance in the United States, sure. 
So in the first minute of this match, they couldn't have just rung the bell and started so that Tanahashi could do 30 or 40 seconds of spots that would make people think, wow, this fucking guy's good. Instead, they do a jumpstart sloppy four-way and then immediately cut off the only guy that we've never seen before and start kicking a shit out of him so he looks like a schlub. Well, I think part of the issue is there's there may be a limited amount of what he can do at this point due to all the injuries he's had. Oh, good Lord. Another one? Is that, I thought that was Minoru Suzuki that has to be handled like a Fabergé egg. So now this guy's fucking broken down also. He can't do 30 seconds? Well, I'm sure he could have done something better than what they did. Okay, well, he that's is all broken I was down, going though. for. Yeah. You know, usually when I would bring in a big star into one of my companies from either just the general wrestling world or specifically another promotion, the first time that you see them on TV, they do two or three things to somebody else just to show they can. So then while the announcers were talking about Tanahashi being an all-time great, including Jim Ross, he's on my list of all-time greats, he was in the ring doing absolutely nothing to back up that verbiage or stand out in any way. And then Moxley got with Jericho and they went back out to the floor. What else does, you know what they ought to do? They ought to get one of those shock collars like they have the dogs, the hidden underground electric fence where it's, it's dug underneath the ground and the, the invisible fence and then the dog wears the collar and tries to go over the, the barrier, it shocks them enough that they go back inside. They ought to put one of those on Moxley and put him inside the ring and make him stay there. So Jericho... You know, that's not a bad idea because my favorite Moxley match, surprisingly, was the one with him and Omega, the um, exploding ring match, even though there was no explosion. <laughs> just those two fighting and they wrestling had to stay over in the ring. having to stay in the ring was actually the best match I've ever seen him in. Did you see Jericho try to do the... The old uh, uh, Fabulous Kangaroos boomerang where they, he would try to boomerang Moxley's throat under the bottom rope. And Jericho didn't know how to give it. And Moxley didn't know how to take it. Both their, <laughs> their legs collapsed. Jericho bent his knees and fucking Moxley spread his legs out so his legs weren't even in front of Jericho's. And it just was... And they went to a break, and they come back, and finally Tanahashi gets the tag for a blah comeback. I, seriously, he came in and punched one of the baby faces like a time or two. The guy never even, or one of the heels rather, the guy never went down, and then he started shooting him off and going into ducks and reversals. If you're a baby face and you get a hot tag that anybody cares about, and you come in. And you st and your baby face starts or your heel starts reversing you and going into spots before you bump them two or three times. You've shat your comeback. Um, he did a senton on Jericho, got a two count. Did you see Jericho go for the double arm? He had a double arm grip like he was going to either suplex or pedigree the fucking guy, Tanahashi. And he gives Tanahashi the office on his back, a blatant Iggy. Like that. Two times on with both hands on his back and Tanahashi reverses it. This guy, Mox and Archer went to the floor. And Jericho and Tanahashi laid in the ring and then a sloppy one-two exchange. Not one Japanese wrestler can throw a punch. Tanahashi goes for the crossbody off the top. Jericho wanted to roll through, but he caught him and dropped to his ass and then did a 
shitty roll through and got the walls of Jericho and held it forever because he was looking around. Apparently Moxley forgot. And then finally Moxley comes back in and hits an RKO on him, take him out of it. And then nothing happened. And then and that is when I wrote, and I'm going to ask you this question, Brian. And I also bring this up to anybody out there that watched this television program or watches AEW on a regular basis and likes the Japanese wrestlers. Can you explain to me why that every time one of these guys debuts on AEW television, they look like shit. They don't do anything. They don't make an impact. They don't make a statement. They don't blow anybody away. Keith Lee, in his first job match on their TV, remember the one that he actually did right? He got over more than any of these supposed world's greatest wrestlers, Okada and Tanahashi and Hikalulo and the rest of them. They don't even look as good as the guys on the AEW roster. They dress like bums. They got no physiques. If they can work in some spectacular fashion, you don't see it. They're in multiple man matches. They're doing shit that looks bleh. Do they just not care? And they're just jacking off on Tony's dime? Or, shockingly enough, could it be that they're not really all that good? Unless they're working with each other in front of their audience with their bookers and in their company where they're over. Answer that question for me. I agree that there's not been any Japanese wrestlers I could think of that have had a really good debut or really impressed anyone. Usually it's riding off a reputation and having the announcers, or at least two of them, scream at you about how great the person is. And Jim Ross may chime in if he's seen them before. But, I mean, this New Japan thing. None of the people, including... I'm, I want to see Okada. Not in a four-way with those fucking guys. But I want to see Okada. He came out... And the Daniel Bryan, or the Bryan Danielson special, the white t-shirt, just looking like he's there. He seemed like another guy. Tanahashi, very special wrestler, just seemed like another guy. I think every one of these guys that have thrown on the show in the last few weeks has seemed like another guy. It would have been a lot more effective if, let's say, you had Okada, and you used him alone on TV for <laughs> several weeks, several months, built him up so that people would want to see him, because the whole pay-per-view is built around the idea that everyone already knows everybody. I know you can't fly Okada in from fucking Tokyo Airport every week, but... Tony could. Well, I mean, then would Okada want to do that? And I'm sure he's got commitments at home, but it doesn't even have to be several weeks. If you're going to introduce supposedly the best wrestler from or two or three of the best wrestlers from any other promotion, whether it be New Japan or Ring of Honor or any other invading, competing rival promotion, all you need to remember is the first time people see them, they need to win, and they need to look good. Because elsewise you brought an unknown person in that doesn't stand out of a pack, looks like everybody else and you're not even predisposed to like them as more any as much as you like the regular wrestlers on the roster because you at least know who they are and if you've heard the guy heard about the guy 
but you haven't seen him, then you want to see 30 to 90 seconds at least of what makes him so spectacular and or a five or six minute match where he looks good and wins decisively. This is just it. So it, it went on. The match wasn't over. I just wondered at that point why all these guys that are supposed to be so great don't show it. And it's not just the booking. If the guy's going to come in and, and have a fucking match, he can work out if he's able to do something. He can work out a fucking 45-second spot with somebody where he looks good, but he didn't. If you're on national television in a brand new country and you get a chance to blow the people away and you come way far away from doing that, I'd say it's because you can't, not because you didn't want to. Uh, but anyway, simultaneous cold tags to Moxley and Archer. Moxley dropped Archer and tagged Tanahashi back in, and he gave Archer a stiff frog splash, which was the best thing that he did the entire match. And then, god damn, if you wanted to laugh at something stupid and ridiculous, okay, this television program and specifically this close would do it, but something to make you want to spend $50 on a pay-per-view, come on. Moxley and Tanahashi start having a stare down in the middle of the ring and they stare at each other for about 30 seconds. And then here comes Eddie Kingston and Jericho's out there and here comes Wheeler Useless and here comes Minoru Suzuki, the fragile Japanese grandfather and the Jericho appreciators and Santana and Ortiz and Hager and people we don't know and security guys. And everybody had a sloppy fake fight on the floor that looked like it was everybody's first day in wrestling school. And Moxley and Tanahashi just stand in the middle of the ring, stock still, while all this is going on around them, staring at each other for... My DVR froze because it was the end of the show. It had to have been two and a half minutes, wouldn't it? They just stood there. It was ridiculous because every time they kept cutting back to them, I was like, how could they still be staring at each other? It, it, because it doesn't matter whether it looks phony as long as they think it looks cool. Phony's fine. So, uh, again, if you want to laugh at something that's silly... Yeah, watch this particular television program in that last segment. To Anything that would make you want to buy the pay-per-view, if you have not already decided to do so, was not here on this broadcast. And they need their injured talent back. And I'm thinking Tony is, he's got to be having a meltdown of some kind now, because he won't let anybody knows how to do this, do it. He's got to do everything himself. It's been this way for three years now. He's just bought another promotion. He's changing his booking because he's got injuries. He's going to have a fucking stroke. A stroke or some kind of goddamn brain aneurysm or just a Herb Abrams meltdown without the hookers. And then where are they going to be? But this is falling apart at this point. And, you know, and, I, I think we could say from a distance looking at it, that there have been noticeable changes and various things on the show since Cody left, if we're going to be fair. And certainly the last few weeks, again, I don't think it was as much about Danielson. It's CM Punk and MJF. They're not there, and this show 
It's not even they just they're not on TV. It feels like every segment they touch is improved, which tells me that they're doing more than just appearing on TV. And that's needed right now because the people Tony's listening to, Jericho, the Bucks, Moxley, the New Japan people, look at the show the last three weeks. The show's been terrible, and the ratings went down significantly. Remember when All Japan and New Japan, between the two of them, and this was over a period of, what, 30 years from the late 50s to the late 80s, All Japan and New Japan imported the absolute best talent in America and put them all together on their rosters at a time when you couldn't see the best talent in America all together on a roster. They took from every territory the best guys, and you would see dream matchups, and you'd see the the absolute best in the business. Every American working in a Japanese promotion now is an American that wasn't good enough to get a job in America. Because with the contracts now, They can't use WWE guys. They can use some AEW guys because they're working together, but that's only been a recent development. Every American working for New Japan and any other Japanese promotion that still exists at this point are guys that couldn't get fucking spots with the top promotions in America. So it's gone from the absolute best of America to what's left of American talent. And... And that's another thing. If I'm just a regular television viewer, and again, the reason why I know regular television viewers watch AEW is because they make it so difficult to understand. But if I'm a regular television viewer, half the people that I see that are attributed to the New Japan Pro Wrestling roster aren't Japanese. Most of them are from Australia. What the fuck? fuck sense does that make to somebody if you tell the average person we're going to bring in the best wrestlers from new japan pro wrestling to fight our wrestlers they expect to see more japanese wrestlers than fucking australians and new zealanders in that crew but that's what they're left with in japan because they don't have access not only is there not as much top american talent as there was in the territory days by far but they don't have access to the ones that are the biggest names, the best draws, and the biggest talents. So that's why we get Ozzy Oldham and Great O'Conn. <sighs> and I could understand Okada and Tanahashi maybe getting some uh, people interested because of their previous altercations in, in New Japan that some people may have seen in this country. If people know about it, because even if, if people, you are someone, yes. they didn't, Okada wasn't there until this week on the show. Well, but that's what I'm saying is, you know, I can understand people being interested in the names and seeing them and say they've heard so much about them. And then they see them in this fashion, exposed in this way on the television program. I go, well, those, those guys ain't any different than any of these other fucking guys. They were not more spectacular. They were not more technically sound. They were not, they didn't have bigger physiques or better looks or. They didn't move faster. There was a difference 30, 40 years ago that you could see instantly in the top Japanese guys. 
And when they came in and, and worked on an American show, you could tell that Jumbo Taruta was the closest thing you'd find to a Japanese Terry Funk or Dory Funk Jr. Tiger Mask. Give him two minutes and fold your fucking tent. He'll outshine the whole roster. These guys just... Eh. It's one of the problems where everyone wrestles the same nowadays, worldwide. And I don't know why they picked up that particular style to begin with, but uh, that's a story for another time. And this is a show for another time. So we're watching this. We're really watching this thing. I, do you know what I, I folks on the drive through this week? If you want a blow by blow, step by step description of, I believe now this pay-per-view is up to 10 matches, at least three or four of them are multiple person matches. And, more than half of them involve people that we've never fucking seen before and are not really anxious to break that trend. So you might get a good recap of uh, the entire program and a couple of the matches in detail. I don't think we need to go crazy over this thing. We'll have plenty of questions about classic wrestling and a few nippy, nippy tunes, some songs to make up for whatever, for Behind the green door does not provide us in the way of entertainment. You think? How dare you disgrace the memory of Marilyn Chambers by associating her with this AEW New Japan cross-promotional pay-per-view. She was 99 and 44, 100% pure, I'll have you know. You know how embarrassed those people were? <laughs> <laughs> I had one of those boxes for a year. My mom had Get one of those boxes. <laughs> Get out of here, really? <laughs> she used the product. <laughs> And then I wanted to keep it, but I, I was, what was I fucking, what was that? I was 12, 13 years old. I didn't want her to know why I wanted to keep the box. So I kept putting it on the shelf behind shit, thinking that she won't notice it and I can sneak it out of the laundry room. And she ended up using it all and throwing it away. Hold on. How did you find out about who she was at 12 years old? That was when the movie came out. I understand you were 12 years old. Yes. You weren't going to porno theaters. I'm I'm doing a lot of reading. Porno reading? It was reading? in a newspaper. AVN? Magazines. Paul Fishbein? No, he wasn't around then. <laughs> no, that was, that was actually not, I don't think they put it on the front page of the New York Times, but yes, when Marilyn Chambers and Behind the Green Door, it was, what, just a couple months after Deep Throat, it, the, that was the, the tag team of porn movies in the mainstream Media was Deep Throat and Behind the Green Door. And The Devil and Miss Jones. That came a little afterwards, and it was definitely, that was third place. Everybody knew Behind the Green Door, and everybody even more knew Deep Throat. Linda Lovelace was on top. Marilyn Chambers was number two. Georgina Spelvin did not ever really attain the echelon of Linda Lovelace and Marilyn Chambers, but it was reported in the news that Marilyn Chambers, what was it, two, three years before she shot the Behind the Green Door, one of the first mainstream X-rated movies, she was a model that was on the cover of the Ivory Snow Box, the laundry detergent holding a cute little baby. Very, very close to the lips that later on in Behind the Green Door would be attached to all sorts of different bodily orifices. And that, that box became valuable for a while. Which box? The, <laughs> you know that thing about Marilyn Chambers? She wanted to get in the wrestling business at one point. 
And they asked me what I thought about it. I said, well, I, I haven't seen her wrestle, but I have seen her box. All right. Well, next week on the show, we will be reviewing Cafe Flesh and the opening of Misty Beethoven. So stay tuned for that. Whatever happened to Vanessa Del Rio? Could we find her and get an interview? Tashin. Tashin, who puts out these incredible and at times expensive, but beautiful art books. I have a massive collection of them. I don't know if I'm going to have this one, though. They just put out a deluxe Vanessa Del Rio book set. Well, there you go. And a coffee you- table book filled with the filthiest fucking photos <laughs> you've ever seen. <laughs> does, does it have little legs that, that fold out to, on the coffee table book to set to make it a coffee table? All right. That's a good idea. We're done with this program, correct? Oh, I think this part right here was the signal that we're over, yeah. Yeah, we're we're over <laughs> and done. All right, over and out, uh, 10-4, Roger, Captain, over. We'll be back on the drive-thru with the, to peek behind the forbidden door. And then more next week on the Jim Cornette Experience. Until then, thank you. Fuck everybody for listening to this, and bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, I need to watch the show Meltzer says I'm in the key demo Meltzer says I'm in the key demo My mom's basement. I steal her Wi-Fi and I pay no rent. school. We've got indie stars drop back from wrestling school. Like Joe Janela at the top of the car. He trained himself in his own backyard. And this is shit everyone should get. Well, everyone. Except Jim Cornette Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Who needs women for hanging round in bars When you can watch the Bucks get seven stars When you can watch the Bucks turn seven stars Dynamite's the word Best ever tag team division Haven't you heard We've got Jericho Orange Cassidy And Michael Rio Like Tony I get fantasy booking A title tournament Now we're cooking And I can wait to hear What Cody has to say When Marco's stunt Goes all the way Wednesday nights I get up late, watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate. Hey, mom, don't come in. Go away, I'm watching wrestling. Go away, I'm watching wrestling. Oh, this is wrestling heaven. Don't listen to Cordy, he hasn't been relevant since '87. He thinks that Luchasaurus can't work a lick. Or that Bobby Eaton could hold a candle to either Matt Warner. He wants to cut up our heroes with a rusty fishing knife. Or get them in the hot tub to play spot the submarine with him and his wife. And no, Mom, I'm not bitter. 
This has nothing to do with Jim blocking me on Twitter. And now, here comes Nero. Wearing pajamas like me, he's my hero. The young bucks could shoot on Buzz Sawyer. Make Brock Lesnar take a Canadian destroyer. Don't come in, Mom. Don't come in. Are you touching yourself again? Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate Pay my money to watch this show Elter says I'm in the key demo I 